It's the Mike Rogers Show coming to you live from Tokyo, Japan, a year-end special, and I'll be with my good friend, Evan Borgold, and you can tune into the Mike Rogers Show. We play Japanese music, Japanese pop, Japanese, uh, uh, and you can win a bazillion dollars on this show. I don't know how you can, but maybe, you know, if you listen to the show, maybe you can somehow, maybe buy a raffle ticket or something. The Mike Rogers Show, yes, tune in. We're going to have our year-end top five countdown. It's going to be way cool, and you can hear more good songs just like this. So. Full disclosure, this is a very, very long episode of No Borders, No Race. Look, see the timestamp? There won't be any more No Borders, No Race episodes until I get back from Japan. So, do take your time and savor this four-hour-long extravaganza. I mean, if you can sit through an entire season of Stranger Things on Netflix, then listening to this episode should be a cinch. With that, DROP THE BOMB! Boston Bastard Brigade, Electric Sisterhood, and On Mystery Head proudly present No Points, No Race, The World's J-Pop and Alternative Art Squad. Bastards and wenches, welcome to episode 300 of No Borders, No Race. I am your King Baby Duck, Evan Borgo. Thank you once again for tuning in. And a 300th episode can't be done by my one lone self. I have my amazing friends here. First and foremost, we have the three main dudes of Wicked Anime, AFLM, John Star, and Security Guy Gray. It's going to take a long time to do this intro with 300 people sitting in this room. (laughs) (laughs) And lastly... This is a guy I've been wanting to have on my show for a very long time, and I've been on his show on a couple of occasions as well. <laughs> he is the host of the League of Ordinary Gentlemen podcast, The Vampire Council. I think this is great, and so many other shows. I'm very excited to welcome the one and only Clay Inferno. Oh, thank you so much for having me, man. This is great. I, know, I think this is great. I mean, I was about to ask. You think no one is the race is great. Well, I mean, it's, it's funny. This is a music show, and then we have, you know, like this concert promoter with us. It's just like, oh, perfect. Like a guy who knows music. It's great. Absolutely, because like we would hang out with him over at the Middle East, and there'd be other shows that he'd be at. And like Clay is, when it comes to knowing the best in music, Clay knows it all. He's he's the guy that I I reach out to when it comes time to do my Beantown sampler. All right, who 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 in Boston is good? Oh, and Clay will be like this guy, this girl, and I'd be like, shit, you're right. Be more good artists because I kind of ran out of. Suggestions for you. That's <laughs> <laughs> uh, like sad, but um, you, know, you do a great job with that. Thanks for having me on. Thank you very much. And you know, since this is the 300th episode, I, the thing I want to ask. Now, I know this is your first time on here, uh, Clay, but for these guys, you have been on No Borders or Race on multiple occasions, tons of occasions. Just, I want them on there because they bring something to the conversation, oh, and it makes everything so much livelier and much more fun because 
like I used to do like no board stories every single week. Yeah. And I realized that I can't do it every single week because so much work goes into every single episode. Because I still made it to 300. So I still made it to 300. But if I, I started doing it bi-weekly in 2017, I'd be at 600 by now. <laughs> or I, I, I could have just stopped and be like, I can't do this anymore. <laughs> yeah. Just burnt out completely. But here for episode 300... So I want to ask you guys, when you think of the first time you were on No Borders No Race, what comes to mind? Well, I specifically remember the first episode that I was on because I was on I was on by myself. Like it was before Jonathan joined mm-hmm. or anything. So uh, I was on after Anime Boston 2013. Yeah, it was you and Scarlett. Yeah, and Scarlett Rhapsody. Correct. Because I met I, that was the year that I met you at Anime Boston. We were both doing press together, and immediately we were just like, we should swap credentials. And then you're like, I got an even better one. I got a podcast show. You want to be on my podcast show and do a post-Anime Boston? I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Uh, and then um, we've been friends ever since. Yeah. <laughs> I uh, it, it Mine's in a similar strand of time because I listened to the episode that Andrew was on. I thought it was great. Um, but the the thing that I actually remember is more so Boston Bastard Brigade, but it, it yeah. basically turned into New Boards No Race at this point. Pretty much, um, yeah. When yeah. We, were, we saw your YouTube channel for the year that we met you in 2013 Anime Boston, and I watched your trailer, and I was like, is that Terry Scott Taylor? And you're, and that was and, and that was like where we connected. You're like, yeah, it's Terry Scott Taylor. Yeah, was, the Neverhood. It was the Neverhood soundtrack. Yeah, yeah. and that was uh, like that was just such a great connection to hit that beat on. So, and Greg, I believe like you haven't been on No Birds and Race much, but I do believe you remember the first time you were on, and it wasn't as you you, but as a character, right? So. <laughs> Um, I never was officially on the show. It was more of you asked me after I met you. When did I meet you? I think it was like 2016 or 17 or something. It was set another anime convention. It was another anime Boston. No, you were the security uh, guy, Greg. No, that was another anime con. I thought that's where that was. That's what I'm talking about. Met you because we did a Wicked Anime episode at that con, and we asked you to be there on the show. But I finally met him at Anime Boston. No, no. Remember we did like we did a two parter. So part one, you had to listen on B3. Mm-hmm. Part 2, you had to listen to Wicked Anime. It was our way of being like, this is the best way to cross-promote. The yeah. multiverse. Yeah, they do. <laughs> yeah. We do have an extended universe. It's crazy. <laughs> um, but yeah, so when that when we met, um, that's kind of how we formed that bond, and then I know, a few years later, you actually asked me finally to do some uh, commercial for one of your episodes, I think, uh, a year or two back. Yeah. And you wanted me to be this, like, kind of 1940s, like, New Yorker, like, old-timey Rita, like, oh, he goes and hits yes. the So this was, this was the, um, so for, for our long-time listeners, this was for the Bing Bong Show episode, and the Bing Bong Show was what I thought no borders, no race would be if it was created back in 1969. I had just gone out of seeing Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, Quentin Tarantino's movie, oh, yeah. and I'm like, I want to do, like, if this show like existed in Tarantino's 1969, this is how I would imagine it. Mm. I love that yeah. movie. Me can too. I, can I say one more just as a, as a really great memory from mm-hmm. the time that you invited us all over to your house? And yeah. when I mean you all, like all, it was like, it, it was Rhapsody, it was um, 
Electro Sisterhood, yeah, and Wicked Anime, um, and we all did your Christmas special. Yes, the Kung Fu Christmas special. <laughs> and it, like, looking back on it now, it is it is seriously like the goofiest thing. And like, you know, it, we you your script nailed that cheesy Christmas special vibe that you watch on NBC. You know, and and it was it, recording that we I don't remember laughing so hard. You know, just like doing all the absurd lines in that script and that was probably one of the best recordings I think I still we've ever done I you know and I still have ideas for that but it takes so long for me to to like script something like that but the thing that I love doing about those radio plays is the fact that it's not that we get to be smarter versions of ourselves we get to be dumber versions of ourselves (laughs) but in doing that though we came up with like you broke the lines but then we acted the lines you know and we got to and we got to take them in different directions where like how do we speak it more naturally, uh-huh. you know, and like how can we make it funnier if I say it this way instead of this way, you yeah. know, and it was just fun, it was a lot of fun, we recorded it for like four hours or something like that Maybe yeah, longer than it was that. us um, Phil the Issues guy was part of it yeah, you know, like, right. we had to have um, Scott Rhapsody was still in California so yeah. they recorded it separately yeah. separately, and the same with uh, Adam from Anime Jam Session too that's right, yeah but yeah, that was that to this date, that's the episode I think I'm most proud of because we put so much hard work and so much. It's kind of like our made, our made episode. I still listen to our made episode. Everyone like are the RPG one. Like any yeah. scripted stuff is it's good. It's so good. Absolutely, and I'm hoping that we can do more of that in the yeah. future. I mean, three ep- three hundred episodes down. 300 more to go. Well, who, who knows? <laughs> Hang on, I want to hear Clay's first memory because this is probably pretty easy. Oh, well, I mean, I, I've just been listening to the showcase on Boston Bands, and, uh, and then I'm always like, oh, I should I should check that movie. He's, uh, I mean, it always has the best suggestions in his shows, and uh, it's just so fun. It's just so fun. I love it. You're like a sommelier for music. Like, you, uh, you're like, you like this band? Try these guys. And you're like, hmm, that's it's nice. It's literally how I listen to music, too, because I listen, and listen to a lot of, like, female singer-songwriters that just, like, it like relaxing me I can do work mm-hmm. that way but um, but then I'll like switch over to hip hop and I'll switch over to punk and metal and uh, that's what's great about listening to Evan Show is because like it's like all these really eclectic things with, with no borders and no race the whole concept is like oh, as yeah, my if mind the, goes if the music too. is good I will play it that, and, and that's how I listen to it too and that's gonna be a, a topic for our next segment and yeah like my concept is that no matter what no matter what the genre is if it sounds good I play it so I play punk hip hop jazz ska everything under the sun if it sounds good to me then I think it's worthy for everybody else's ears. Yeah. Not to sound like I'm like high on the totem pole being like, this song sucks. <laughs> no one's this is a this is a bad year. But you'll also like you'll you'll play um, artists that I'm familiar with, but I didn't know they had music. So that's always yep. like a good thing. Yes. So like, oh shit, I didn't know that they had a new uh, they had a new single out and you're always like on top of it. And that's what I really love about the yeah, okay. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you you'd be surprised who's still around and still making good songs. True. Yeah. Well, you know what's funny too is that the history that you have with music as well, because like 
I remember that when you know we would we would come to like a long distance to first visit you in, in Lynn, and like your dad would pick us up, and like he would have those music tracks, like those, these legendary music tracks. Yeah. And when you would talk, you and your dad would have these discussions, like we're having now, about the music that you're listening to on the car radio right this moment. And like it was, it, it was great to see where it came from. It's like it's legitimately watching like this legendary figure talk about music. So <laughs> thanks. That's your dad. <laughs> so we are going to talk more about the concept of good music on our next segment. But first, um, we're going to dive into our playlist. So today's playlist of No Borders No Race consists of artists that actually inspired the creation of No Borders No Race back in 2006. But I gave myself some rules on this. The first thing is I had to have known about the band before I was beginning the mere concept of No Borders No Race. So no bands that helped evolve No Borders No Race. So there's no Baby Metal, no Fucked Up, no Odebuki Beaver, no Titus Andronicus. And I had to have had discovered these bands on my own and not while I was training as a DJ over at WMWM Salem, which is where No Borders No Race first came to be. So... No Guitar Wolf, no Shona Knife, no Mel Banana, no Cornelius. I wouldn't be playing Cornelius because he's a terrible person. You can hear that in a past episode about that. And then the other thing is, the songs I chose couldn't have been released before July 11th, 2006, the date of my first radio show. So some of the songs you'll hear were on records that were released after the date, but were out as singles beforehand. And a couple were also re-recorded on future albums, but you'll be hearing the original version. And as such, a lot of the songs that I'm going to be spinning are from albums, EPs, and singles that are very much out of print. Oh, wow. How do you even remember these things? <laughs> like, how do you keep track of the music you listen to while you were building these? This, this is why we always ask, like, Evan... Do you remember this thing that happened? And you're just like, yeah, this is, I don't It's the one good thing about being autistic. It's the fact that I remember everything. I know. It's just, it's just so funny. It's just like, I don't know. It's like, I like Twilight Forest. Like, I listened to When did I make I don't remember. <laughs> so, the first band, of course, we're going to play is the band that began my journey into my love of Japanese music, which are the Pillows. Mm-hmm. And. I remember, like, back in 2018, you had reached out to me and be like, hey, do you know if anyone would be interested in a Pillows concert in Boston? <laughs> like, we were in line for Andrew WK, the meeting, and, like, he had messaged me. Oh, right that's, so that. funny. That's, that's so funny. You're my go-to guy for, I have a lot of questions for you. I always, <laughs> and you're like, book it now. <laughs> yes, <laughs> book it now. I mean, 2008, we the Pillow concert at, uh, anyway, Boston. at Anime Boston was, like, a packed Room. It's just like all these people in Boston just know where the pillows are. They play at a Royale or something. Yes, the Royale because you had booked them originally at the Sinclair, and the tickets went like yeah. that. Yeah, <laughs> that's amazing. And you're like, we need a bigger place. I think you could have sold out the House of Blues. I honestly think. Wow, well, that's next ambitious. Time. That's I, ambitious. Yeah, I, but I, I Roadrunner now. Roadrunner, yes. <laughs> I think you. you Oh, that's like the MGM. You know, the MGM is like the <laughs> brand new one. It's like, oh, we gotta go there. And actually, what what we do is we just play two concerts at the same time. At one at you know the Roadrunner, one at the MGM, and then you swap venues and then go <laughs> see the other half of the show. <laughs> so, so this comes from their album Runners High, which is I think my absolute favorite it's of the really Pillow album. And this is a song that you hear in the beginning of episode two of Fully Cooley. This is instant music. 
everybody. This is Phil the Issues Guy from IssuesProgram.com and Phil the Issues Guy on YouTube. Do you like television? Do you like talking about television? Do you have problems and can't sleep at night? If you any of those things are true, come on down and join Phil the Issues Guy on YouTube. Phil's recap and review or check out IssuesProgram.com to check out our stuff. Basically, what we do is we talk a lot about television, some movies, but mainly television. We do post-episode recaps, live viewings, drunk commentary games, and just general analysis. So if you love television, you don't have a ton of people to talk about television, or you just cannot get enough of some of these awesome shows like Vikings, Better Call Saul, Westworld, Game of Thrones, even The Walking Dead, and some other random shows that just pop up here and there. If you cannot get enough of all those programs and you want to talk about them... Jump on over, join in the live motherfucking chat with some of the best people in the world that all share their thoughts real time whenever we go live. So if you subscribe to the YouTube channel, you follow the YouTube channel by clicking that little bell thing, you can find out anytime we go live. You can also check out issuesprogram.com for a backload of all of our stuff and check out our podcast on Stitcher, iTunes, and lots of other places. Huge thanks to all of you and hope you check it out and hope you enjoy it. And I'll talk to you guys next time.
だ男子
I put on plenty of shows where not a lot of people showed up, but it was a person that I really respected and liked. And um, so I, I don't want to call these people out because I don't think people don't go to their concerts, but just whatever the luck of draw. And after the pandemic and stuff, things are different. Like, so a, a band might bring a hundred people before the pandemic and then they bring 10 the next time. What are you going to do? Like some people aren't comfortable going out again anymore or whatever it's just a weird it's a weird weird time but anyway so to the topic of like what i think is good it's usually um it's, it sounds really trite to say but music that i connect to i connect to the lyrics a lot um be, because like when i was in my band i was a singer and like writing spoken word and like doing poetry and lyrics of poetry so usually i listen to the the lyrics and what it makes me think if something makes me think and something makes me feel and um this is a controversial opinion like on my podcast because uh, well we do a lot of movie reviews and all, all the time like the other people on my podcast will say like oh and the score by jerry goldsmith was this or that like i don't listen to scores i don't listen to symphony <laughs> orchestras i don't i music is in a movie is I'm very engaged with the movies and and uh, it's usually doing its job if I don't notice it right um, yeah. so and I'm, yeah. and I'm not saying like like John Williams Star Wars score is amazing but I'm not gonna put it on doing the dishes <laughs> you know what I mean? yeah, exactly. uh, so a lot of people a lot of people like really are and nothing no no shade to lemonade for people that love scores I just didn't grow up listening to that I grew up listening to classic rock and listening to lyrics and being like you know listening to Neil Young lyrics and I agree. then listening to you know MC Chris and there no core rappers to listening to people and singer songwriters Margaret Glassby to listen to what they're saying and what it says to me and like um, so yeah no words no race no genres uh, out of it and uh, I can listen to music like plenty of music that I don't understand the lyrics to but if it um, because I don't know the language but I can <laughs> mm-hmm. still you know feel it it has a punk energy or something it's just how it makes me feel yeah so, like we listen to German metal and I've listened to French punk rock music oh man my, my, my metal is worldwide and it doesn't I, I don't know what some of them are they can be saying to nasty chick you don't know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes yeah sometimes you listen to that Ramstein song you're like this is catchy it's like what are they singing about oh Okay. Dish is my favorite song. Yeah. <laughs> Damn, that's Vitek's song. That's a really great tune. It does, it does. It's a great yeah. song. Sweet dots, sweet dots. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's catchy. Yes. I don't know what they're saying in pussy, but man, it's a good song. <laughs> Actually, that's one of the ones we can't understand. <laughs> Greg, how about you? Like, what defines good music for you? Uh, for me, it's kind of basic. It's more of like what defines good music is probably, and I'm piggybacking off of you a little bit, is just probably like the emotional aspect if it does make me feel, or um, I like songs obviously that have a good kind of like lyrical base to it, if you will. Mm-hmm. I'm not a fan of songs that just kind of like repeat the same lyric over and over and then they, you know, call the song. That's just, in my eyes, that's not what I'm a fan of, but... But how do you uh, listen to the radio then? Like, how do you find the music on the radio, Greg? Because the, there, the there are still some diamonds in the radio still. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, there are stations out there that still play like great music, but there are some stations which I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's the Clear Channel ones or whatever, iHeartRadio. What do they call themselves now? There were Clear Channel, and I was at iHeartRadio. Like, it's all the same 10 songs over and over again. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Nothing, nothing proved that to me more than working in a retail store. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was, oh, I, I actually, just, a, just as a quick aside to the, when I worked at a warehouse, um, my my team only wanted to listen to the country radio station and I could I could tell what point of the day we were at once I've heard the same song three times I, I tell you <laughs> that I heard getting drunk on a plane six times in one shift <laughs> on the country music radio station wow it was awful it was so awful that's why I'm thankful for the new artists like Sturgill Simpson and Orville Peck who yeah. are actually yeah. adding something yeah. to the country No, actually, I, I, that was pretty much oh, that it. Was it. Okay. Yeah, I'm more like when it comes to music, I'm more of a simpleton. Like obviously, like everybody else, I'm like I enjoy music, but you're yeah. a basic music enjoyer. I am basic like, music enjoyer. So yeah. vanilla. Yeah. <laughs> we'll go around like this. So for for me, like when I hear a song, like I don't just have to hear it. I need to see it in my head. Like, I have to picture, like, what it looks like as a music video. Maybe a movie scene that it would go with. A a kind of, maybe, like, a story. Even something like one of those old Windows Media Player (laughs) visualizers. If I see that, I need an image in my head when I listen to a song in order for me to know whether or not it's good. And if I find myself listening to a song and my mind is just black, total blackness, then that, in my opinion, makes for a bad song. I remember we were talking about, and as much as we love this band, um, the Aquabats came out with the Kooky Spooky album that they put on Kickstarter, and I listened to that, and I got nothing. So sad. It made me want to cry. (laughs) I love them so, so much. And I know we got kind of an honorary Aquabat because he dresses up sometimes. (laughs) I did do that that one time. But uh, but yeah, it's just like sometimes I think about this too, and I don't want to take up too much time talking. Like no, it's okay. But what when when you say that, like sometimes a band will have a catalog of like twenty records, and maybe a couple of them aren't that great. But still, it's not like you're not still Aquabats fans. Exactly. Exactly. And you just you give them that and say. You missed on that one, yeah, latest yeah. record, and that's fine. You I know, was just that. talking to them yeah. about this um, at lunch over The Strokes, because The Strokes, mm-hmm. in my opinion, they had three of the best albums I've heard in my life. Their first three albums, Is This It, Room on Fire, First Impressions on Earth. But then for some reason, everything after that, it's blackness in my head. The answer to Is This It, yes. <laughs> one of my favorite bands in the world, Freedom Call, when their 2019 album released, I was like, this is a bummer. But that doesn't mean I'm like not a Freedom Call fan anymore. I was like, this album just kind of sucks. Sorry. Like, there's some, there's like two good tracks on it. Yeah, it could be somebody's favorite record. Yeah, you never know. Yeah, and like I, I need some. I need to see something when I hear my music. It's a big reason why I find myself leaning towards like concept albums, uh, rock operas and such. It's why Pink Floyd and Fucked Up are two of my all-time favorite bands because oh, yeah. they tell stories in their songs. And yeah. whether you are sober or 
high as a kite listening to <laughs> any of their stuff. Like, you feel that story that these two bands are telling. Mm-hmm. So, like, that's how I define good music is if if you are giving me something that I can see on top of here, then you've got my attention. Mm-hmm. Yep. Andrew. All right. So, um... I'm, I'm going to first touch on something that you said, Clay, which is like with the music soundtrack thing. Uh, I totally agree with your opinion, so it's not a controversial opinion here, uh, as it might be on your podcast, because the only soundtrack that I can probably listen to recreationally is probably Final Fantasy VII. Like, the Final Fantasy VII soundtrack is probably the only one. I will raise you Doom. Well, the Doom 2016 soundtrack as well, but that's because Mick Gordon is a genius. Yeah. Um, and, and I'd raise you Cowboy Bebop. That's not a video game, though. Well, so. well, you were talking about movies. Or- oh, movies. Well, and again, they use real music for that, though. Like, yeah. like that's it's not like made for that, you know. Um, like, and and that's like the big thing is is these are musicians making music for these specific purposes. Like uh, Streets of Rage is another great yeah. like one where it's like, oh, that's a good soundtrack. Yeah. However. I don't want to listen to music that makes me think of that thing that already exists. Mm-hmm. I'm a story writer. Mm-hmm. So when I listen to music, I want to mm-hmm. think, like, can I write my own story with this music that somebody else has written? Mm-hmm. And if it just makes me think of, like, oh, everybody loves listening to the, the Pirates of the Caribbean soundtrack, for example. It's just like, but is it going to make me think of anything else other than Pirates of the Caribbean? Right. <laughs> Absolutely not. So I don't want to listen to music like that. I want to listen to music that has a brilliant composition. The pantameters are awesome. The lyrics are creative, and they have like the the, the perfect melodic high and low pitches that that you know filter through. And you're just like, wow, how did they come up with that idea to make it go from this high to this low, and then back up to high? And you and it's like that harmony that it creates. But like being a story writer is the biggest thing with music because also having been somebody in a band who could who could make music and, and used to make music and still like likes to dabble in singing from once in a while but I still write some compositions on my computer yeah. I want to know what makes it interesting mm. um, it's probably one of the reasons why I, I fell into the avant-garde genre so mm. hard right. you know bands like Tub Ring and Dog Fashion Disco uh, <laughs> Mike Patton stuff you know Faith Mike No More and Mr. Bungle and you know Mike Patton's a pioneer of, of and I was actually going to bring that up because when you were describing what you were looking for in music that's like that's Mike's that's Mike Patton's forte yeah I mean, it, there, I will never forget the interview that he had when he was at a, a music festival, and he's being interviewed by these people, and Wolfmother is playing in the background on stage, like while he's being interviewed, and he's just like, "Why do people listen to this shit? This thing suck. They're so bad. It's like they're so stupid." And I was like, "I was like, oh my gosh, my dad is my hero." But but I'm also a metalhead, and and you know. There's no genre that's more misunderstood than the metal genre because if you talk to anybody out there and they're just like, "Oh, you listen to metal?" It's like, "Why do you listen to things that you can't understand?" I was like, "You've never listened to power metal before." Yeah. Uh, like power metal will totally change anybody's perspective on what the metal genre is and what it can be. Mm-hmm. And um, and I love my music to be fast. Mm-hmm. I love my music to be creative. I love my music to be composed in brilliant ways, which is uh, what you were saying. Right? Like I can't, uh, I can't listen to the radio because all that generated pop stuff, where it's just like, oh, we have an algorithm that makes it so that we create these earworms that people will listen to and it will get stuck in your head. Yeah, you know, and I don't want to listen to that. I want to listen to the band that nobody knows. And again, listening, being a metalhead, I love it when people tell me. I don't like that. I'm just like, great, because that means it's more mine. <laughs> yeah, you know, so... 
that's what makes good music. Not just power metal, but you've, you've even uh, like introduced me to like Christian deathcore. Deathcore, yeah, like Christian deathcore. Like deathcore is awesome, but like there's a different level of Christian deathcore that I never knew and even existed. I'm I'm in the one percentile. Like so, uh, uh, I know you're, you're you're referring to a secret ending and um and uh, impending doom. impending doom. Uh, impending doom is uh, they're always my favorite, but uh, but a secret ending. He's got like 500 subscribers on YouTube, and he is one of the best composers I have ever heard. He does everything. Yeah, and, he, and he's a one-man band. He does absolutely everything, and it's symphonic deathcore. So it's like the heavy stuff, but also with like the violins and like the the strings and the horns. It's it's phenomenal. I just yeah. So so I yeah I listen to like the soft stuff all the way up to like the really heavy stuff. Like yeah, you listen to my playlist, and it's like. Like, oh, that was nice. I, I like Elton John. And then, brrrr. <laughs> 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 it's like a little a race-up. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> Go ahead. And lastly. I, uh, I click on a random track on SoundCloud. If I don't want to shoot myself in the face, that's a good song. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I, actually, I, I'm a huge proponent to lyrics. Lyrics really yes. matter to me. Mm. Um, if, if I don't like the lyrics of a song, even if the the music is like perfectly composed. I can't stick with it, you know, and I, I've actually put down some really great music to some really bad lyrics before. Um, oh yeah. So, and, and like, your lyrics like really matter. Yeah. Um, that happened with, um, the, the new, former Twilight Force, uh, front man. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah, but he, he has, he, he doesn't write his own stuff. He always just joins other people's. The best example for that is Grendel. Grendel's yes. new album. The music was phenomenal. His lyrics were garbage. I was like, I cannot listen to this album. Yeah. So, but that being said, though, too, I mean, like you and I connected Evan over the pillows uh, yeah. quite a bit, and uh, I don't actually get into Japanese music as much as I, I should, considering Wicked Anime. But um, <laughs> but we but like for some reason, like I, I, it has to be something really special in order for me to really like a Japanese band. Yep. And like the pillows did it, Baby Metal did it. Um, and, and other than it's that... It's definitely the feeling aspect. Like, you yeah. don't know what they're saying, but you know what they're feeling. Well, let's go, it goes back to that composition level, too. Yeah, um, and, and that means that it does matter. Like, the composition absolutely does matter to it, and it can outplay something. But um, I actually think that my first and last um, movie album track was the Pirates of the Caribbean uh, yeah, album. I, yeah. and, That's you know, probably why it was my example. Was like, that was the last soundtrack I'll buy because it just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, um, but I do have to feel, you know, uh, it's something that makes me upbeat. Even the darkest music can make me feel upbeat. It's probably the reason why I love ska is because it's the trashiest genre of music ever. Nobody's ever heard of it, but man, do I like it. Yeah. No, nobody has any talent in those bands or anything like that, but they put it out there and man, do I love that. Um, I, think, I think that, like, the worst musician, which is why we were having a discussion on Rancid yes. right, earlier, and the lead singer of Rancid is like the worst singer, like on the face, on of the, the face of the planet. Yeah, like, but he, there was a time where he sounded good, bad. Yeah, but now he just sounds bad. But objectively, <laughs> though, if you listen to a Rancid album, you say, "Wow, that guy does not know how to sing at all." And but but we love it. And album after album, like we we love uh, Rancid. Um, and I think that I feel that for like, you know, the Aquabats and like a lot of ska punk and stuff like that. It's just like, it's fun. Yeah. yeah you put that guy off the sidewalk and you're like, you were humming a tune, right? Yeah. I think you can sing for our band. Um, and, and I like that. I, I kind of like that honesty. 
too. If, if like you know, yeah, what, like nobody has ever claimed that Christian Jacobs is a great singer, but he is. You 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 know what he's going for. Like yeah. you feel it. You feel the aquabats. Right. He's I, bringing the cartoon character to. Exactly. Yeah, Saturday morning cartoon. And but I, I love that, like you know, Christian Jacobs' sound. That's his name. Yes, yeah, Christian okay. Jacobs. I was, like, um, I was gonna say, was you know, like, his sound. His sound brought me to like the Cars, and I really love the Cars. Yep. Uh-huh. Um, they're like one of my favorite bands, you know, of, of time past. Um, and and they even brought me into getting into early Oingo Boingo stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oingo Boingo, Boingo, right? Awesome. You know. Um, and then talking about like uh, uh, Talking Heads, mm-hmm. like the Talking Heads are like they're some of like like well. Uh, David Burns is, is one of the greatest composers ever. Everybody else has followed his ego. You know, like, you know, he's floating on top of that giant head of his. Uh, um, but like, yeah, I don't know. When you when you hear the brilliance, but when you also hear the honesty of a man, I think that that hits it for me too. So. Okay. Yeah. I think those are some great examples of what makes a good music, what makes a good song, what makes a good album. Those are all pretty different too. They're, they're different. Yeah, they're they're Good music is in the ear of the beholder, of mm-hmm. course, and I feel like that's why I wanted to have this discussion because except like when they're wrong, then they listen. To music. <laughs> yes, <laughs> everybody has a different opinion, but I feel like we have some sort of agreement on some elements of what makes good songs yeah. and what makes good music. Everybody had like a different take, but we all had some sort of crossover in yeah. in what we said. So yeah. it's like we, you know, yeah, I, I agree with everything that you guys all said after me too. I mean, I, I'm. I'm with you 100. percent You know, like I, I like all of those things that you guys mentioned. Too. Yeah, yeah, it's great. Absolutely. All right, we're gonna have a, we're gonna take another music break here. Uh, up next, we have a band that. So, on top of No Borders Race being about Japanese music, I also wanted to have artists that are sometimes they're popular, sometimes they're not so popular from the other parts of the world. I'm glad that this band blew up popularity and are now considered one of the greatest rock and roll bands of all time, Queens of the Stone Age. And Queens of the Stone Age are a band that I see every time they come into Boston. I'm always, they always do great shows. Josh Hame is such an amazing guitarist, and even he has some very clever lyrics. And the song that I'm going to play here is a song that was originally supposed to be on the 2005 album Lullabies the Power Lives, and they lost the masters to it. It would be re-recorded, though, as a bonus track for the Newbury Comics version of Era Vulgaris, but the version I'm going to play was made for fans exclusively who had tickets to a show in London in 2005, but was canceled. Like, Josh had some sort of health emergency or something. So, this is one of the only few places you can actually hear this song, the original version, this is The Fun Machine Took a Shit and Died. Sounds fair. 
Freedom. Knowledge. The Abstract Japan Podcast at abstractjapan.com.
Z with King Kong Gong. I was first introduced to P. Lander Z through an episode of MXC, Most Extreme Elimination <laughs> Challenge. They would then go on to stuff like Uncle Morty's Dub Shack, The Gong Show, um, Kaiju Big Battle, of course, and they had their own really good documentary called Mad Tiger. It's an excellent book. Super into, cool. I remember that. Yeah. It's I, such I would a good say movie. probably the before I was a concert promoter even thought what I was doing with it. I think P. Landry Z was like one of the very first bands I ever booked. Wow. And, uh, okay. I, yeah. I, and uh, I love when they come to town. I always hang with Yellow. And uh, it was his Yellow's birthday pretty recently. Yeah, it was yeah. his birthday. Yeah, so He's down in Texas now. Love, love, love P. Landry Z. <laughs> you like, you get a show from a P. Landers oh, yeah. concert. Yeah. Like, you, there's nothing else on the planet that can even remotely compare to what you would experience when you it's see those It's a full-on anime comic book convention band. You know, like, it's, yeah. uh, it's, the be- it's the best. So if they're playing at a convention, you've got to see them. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Absolutely. All right. All right, so... As we are all, like, geeks, nerds, and everything, our love for anime, gaming, and comics, I'm sure that we all have our own personal opinions that everybody else despises. (laughs) So, I want to go around the table and find out what your hot take is when it comes to that sort of genre, something about anime, something about gaming, something about comics, what you think is absolute truth, but everyone will point at you and be like, it's a fucking lie! How dare you? Yeah. I think that one of the things that we started Wicked Anime on, we, we never said it on our show, but we always referred to ourselves behind the scenes as the anti-heroes of anime. Yeah. Because, like, we love anime, but the one thing that we love to do more than love anime is hate anime. <laughs> and so... Um, we we love putting out you know shows where I think our better shows are when we see bad things. Just like when I go to the movies, I never feel disappointed walking away from a bad movie because I get to talk about it afterwards. Yes. See, yeah. see the movie the movie that you walk into and walk out of without finishing it, like that's not a bad film. That's a that's a failure. Like that's yeah. a catastrophe. Yeah. If you go see a bad movie and you stay there until the end so you can talk about it, still a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't know. I sat through the whole thing of the last airbender and that that's just I still haven't touched it yet. I don't know. I don't I can't I have no opinion. I took a phone call in the movie theater. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's not a hot take, though. So, yeah. Well, have you ever walked out of a movie? I've only done that once. I've walked out of concerts. I've never walked out of movies. We walked out of concerts before. Wow. Yeah. Yep. After uh, after Aquabats were done playing, it was Cuckoo Kangaroo, Suburban Legends, Aquabats, Real Big Fish. And as soon as the first three were done and Real Big Fish went on the stage, we were like, energy's gone, we're out of here. Yeah, the Aquabats killed it that night. Yeah, it was oh like the, one of the best shows that they ever did. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it was just imagine, like, imagine climbing that tower and then as soon as Real Big Fish hit, it just like takes a nosedive and it's like, oh no. Like, you see, the they should have opened up with the Rave yeah, Master exactly. theme song. Exactly. Yeah, they should have opened with the Rave And not only that, but we got to see three, uh, two other bands before they went on, too. So yeah. it's like, why don't we see this dude's fourth band? <laughs> so, but, um, gosh, my hot take. I definitely have them. I feel like if we go around the circle and come back to me, I'll be able to, I'll be able to think of one. I mean, cause as a high school teacher, it's, it, I, I give a lot of hot takes I, to students about like <laughs> things that I do and do not like. Well, if you want to go the other way, I can start. Yes, I already you know. Do that. Okay, so we'll go for me and then around to you. So you ready for this? I'm 
Okay, we're not going to go over this hot take. Wow, that's a big 40 ounce. <laughs> All right. Um, it's liquid death, can. by the way. Yeah, this is, yeah, uh, yeah. If, if anybody wants to know, that was a can of liquid death. Um, it's, it's, it's water. But it's, um, <laughs> it's like the first time I actually saw it in the store. Yeah, yeah. they have like flavored ones that saw the other Yeah, day. no, man, it's, it's such great. It's a great gimmick, you know. <laughs> it's water, but it's, it's definitely I'm wearing my, um, I'm wearing my comic book death metal shirt today. Um, so it was it was a great drink. I, ha- I took a picture of it. Maybe I post it later. I don't know. <laughs> Please send us free liquid death. Water. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Fuck all those other podcasts. <laughs> Good water. <laughs> I always thought it was alcohol when I first saw like advertisements for it. Yeah, it's just, just water. Yeah, when I thought it was water, it was like I, I did a double take when when I saw like a friend of mine that I know is sober. He's a, he plays in a big band. It's all freaking out. Wait a minute. And it's like, it's water. Yeah. yeah, I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Surprise. Anyway, so my hot take. First, I'll start with, um, I'll start with the easy one, which is animation. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Universe is the worst cartoon ever. <laughs> uh, and... I know a lot of people do not uh, do not agree with me on that, but that's okay because I'm right. Um, and uh, like, if you if you want to talk about shows that have inconsistent storytelling, inconsistent characters, inconsistent writing, um, inconsistent motivations, inconsistent uh, anim- uh, animation and character designs in general, because I mean they they outsourced it to uh, Korea uh, with no character reference sheets and so like every episode the characters change heights and they change motivations or whatever um and then the, you know and then they made the story up as they went along so there was no complete story and you know it's, it's a mess the show is a mess and then on top of that it's you know like there's a, there's a whole bunch of stuff about it. that was the easy one that was the hot take that everybody usually knows about me and i thought <laughs> it was a good way to start it off here's the here's uh here's a, a, a different hot take that people might not agree with, um, and uh, I might get in trouble by saying this one, but obviously I'm a comic book artist, and I like the comic book industry. Uh, mainstream comics, uh, Marvel, DC, uh, all that junk, uh, those artists can't draw. They suck. They are terrible artists. Um, and I'm not talking... Clay's, like, staring at you right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I want to hear it. And, and I'm not talking about, like, the early day Jack Kirby's, and I'm talking about, like, the Joe Quesada's and the... Um, I, don't, I don't know who else, like, uh, who I want to... Uh, Rob Liefeld? Well, so, okay, so Rob Liefeld's an interesting an interesting thing, because you're right. I can't he, wait until we get to my hut. Yeah, because <laughs> you remember, he, like, he can't, he can't, you're right, Rob Liefeld can't draw. The thing that Rob Liefeld has working for him is that he's a really nice guy, you know, so, like, nobody can just be like, oh, like, I can't be mad at you, Rob Liefeld, you're a cool dude. Um, oh, um, uh, Tom, so basically, what, uh, where I'm coming with at this point is because when you get into the comic book industry... Uh, you have uh, you have a bunch of people who never actually learned how to draw. You they basically went in and they they learned how to draw specific characters, and not only that, but they learned how to draw specific characters in specific in a, from a library of poses that they that they can copy, and and so basically they turn into big copy human copy machines, and they made a career off of that without ever learning animation. Without ever, so I have an animation degree. So when I draw, I draw based off the back of my animation degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, you never draw the same face twice. You never draw the same pose twice. You uh, you always make sure that every piece of the body is is balanced and moving in a certain way. You don't break anatomy, um, and those are all things that main, mainstream comic book artists do. Uh, and uh, so I'm on a sh- I'm on a show every Thursday uh, where we draw. 
Yes. And there's a and there's a uh, a parent show to that. That was the one that started our show. We we're kind of like the fan edition. Um, and every once in a while on the pro show, there are professionals drawing, and and they can't like physically cannot draw the topic because they can't come up with their own ideas. Um, there was I, one episode that we were on just as an example where the the topic was Jumanji. Draw Jumanji. And the, and one of the guys who was on there is, I'm just going to draw the thing from Fantastic Four. And that's all he ever does. Every episode he's on, he only draws the thing from Fantastic Four because that's all he can draw. And so um, and so we, on, on the fan edition, every, we, we give them a really hard time. It's just like, oh yeah, we're, we're the superior show because we can actually draw. You know, so... Um, that's my hot take. Uh, you don't have to agree. You don't. Even, you don't even have to think I'm right, and that's fine. That's my hot take. So hard, the the hard man with harder opinions. Yes. <laughs> the, the comeback of. Uh, <laughs> but but I do want everybody to know. I do not think I'm the greatest artist on the face of the planet. I know I have a lot of training to do. I do have a, a degree in animation, and I was classically trained by Disney animators, and I've, and I've worked for Disney animators, and I've worked uh, multiple animation jobs, and I have my own comic book, and, and so my opinions come from a place of professional opinion. And but these those professionals that I just badmouthed make way more money than I do, so that's so much better for them than it is for me. So that's me that's me rebutting my own hot take, and I understand where it comes from. So okay, so for me, I want to touch on a specific show, a specific anime that's probably one of the most iconic shows, iconic series ever made, and that is Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z, Dragon okay. Ball, all that. Sure. And people love Dragon Ball Z, and people will always talk about, oh my god, the action sequences, and how great the fights are, and just the intensity, and the emotion and such. For me personally, when it comes to Dragon Ball, like, the action, and the emotional aspects, like... That stuff doesn't interest me at all when I'm watching Dragon Ball. For me, like, when I watch Dragon Ball, the only times I really get interested when I'm watching it is when it's funny. Because the thing about Dragon Ball is it started out as a comedy with action elements to it. Akira Toriyama, most of his works, be it Dragon Ball, Dr. Slump, uh, Jackal of the Galactic Patrolman, they're all comedic. All of his shorts in the manga theater that came out um, from Viz Media just recently, most of them were all comedic. And I will say that the original Dragon Ball, out of all the anime series of it, the original Dragon Ball is the best because of its sense of humor, of its comedy. There's some good fights in it, but they're comedic fights. Like, think about the fight between uh, Krillin and Bacterian, and it's just all burp and fart and dick jokes all throughout the thing. <laughs> and it's just hilarious watching it. And everything with Mr. Satan. And Mr. Satan, yes. He's a comedy character. He's no. a comedy character. Even, like, going back to, like, thinking of Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball Super. One of my favorite episodes... Goku and Piccolo go for their driver's license. <laughs> the Dr. Slump crossover. And even going back to uh, Mr. Satan, or Hercule, as they called him back in the Toonami days. That's right. When Hercule, or Mr. Satan, tries to beat up Cell, flies over there, and Cell just goes, bam! And just sends Mr. Satan flying into a cliff. 
That made me laugh my ass off so much. It's a great character design too. It's great character design too. So you right. got like Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, yeah. and like all these classic professional wrestlers Run in one person. <laughs> <laughs> and just like when Dragon Ball is funny, it's got my undivided attention because the comedy is golden because that was Akira Toriyama's strength is in his sense of humor when it goes into oh this battle is going to last for five minutes and it's seven episodes later and that five minute battle is still going on and it's just it's just boring it's just mm. not not that interesting to me I, I don't want to uh, ruin your train of thought but I, I have to mention this that uh, I think what you're bringing up is actually a, pr- a problem with the shonen genre in general yes and uh, and how because it's, it's the same thing with like Naruto you know like Naruto is one of my favorite properties but like I would rather they tell me about all these characters that they've created rather than showing me a Ross and Gone on the Moon like I do not care how many times you Ross and Gone an episode like I want to see these characters grow their relationships and tell me about because there's so many characters I, but they're just like Naruto can do Ross and Gone so you want to see that and the five year olds are like yeah it's why, <laughs> it's why I'm bored with like as much as I think there are some entertainment values of the My Hero Academia movies yeah. I feel like that those films should just be Stay away from Deku. It should be about the other characters. The main series, fine. Be it about Deku because it's about him becoming the greatest hero of all time. But when you have the movies and you have a large cast of heroes, like I will say that Kohei Horikoshi is Japan's Stan Lee because he's already created an entire Marvel and DC universe in one show. You can take any character and give them their own property and it would kick ass. Yeah. So why don't they do that with like the movies? Why why do you have to be still about Deku? The first the first act is always the best uh, best part of the movie because it's about like the characters establishing where they are and them doing interpersonal stuff and then the rest of it is like fighting like it's like, uh. like and then going back to what you said about Naruto like Naruto was first introduced to me as an action comedy I wanted to I want to see more of Naruto defeating people with sexy jutsu not the Rasengan <laughs> give me more sexy jutsu I think that's hilarious I think that's great actually there is a great around in Naruto because of the sexy jutsu so okay yeah. it's yeah <laughs> so it, it you, you would be you would be pleased <laughs> I, I think that's why like when it comes to like comes to like the shonen genre I lean towards I forget his name but he's the one who created Rave Master and Fairy Tail and Eden Zero because everything in those his properties you get that from start to finish you get action comedy and with a sprinkling of drama, of drama, you never lose any of those three. When you were first introduced to Naruto, you get a lot of comedy from Naruto's antics. And then that gets lost mm-hmm. somewhere in translation. And the same can be even said somewhat of, with My Hero Academia. There's a lot of comedic elements in early My Hero Academia. And there's still comedic parts to it. But... It has a lot of problems, though. It's not but, a perfect show. Yeah. But they lose that part of its identity as it progresses. Interesting. So that's my hot take. This is kind of maybe a random hot take for me, and I'll probably lean on you guys to like (laughs) see your opinions on this. Sure. But whether it's like movies or anime, cartoons, you name it, what always bothers me in those these types of genres is like throughout a plot or a story. They always seem to throw, like, a romance-like 
kind of plot in there, and that annoys the hell out of me. And or kid like actors in like a movie or a, sh- in a show that always annoys me too. I feel like it kind of drags the whole. Yeah, it just kind of like drags the whole thing down, and it just like muddles it, and it's not as interesting or like. It just it ruins the rest of the show or movie or whatever. So that's kind of like my hot take, and then just that is really that's why. Did you feel that way about? um, I see that you're a Star Wars fan. Princess Leia and the Obi Wan. Is that where that comes from? Uh, Because I felt like that a little bit. She was a little bit too precocious, and I. It's not like I hated the, what was going on but there was just a little she was like they were trying to turn Princess Leia into another baby Yoda it was a little bit too just if if it should be 50% it was like 52% too much of her you know what I mean yeah I would, it, I, she's definitely in there granted I think like she was pretty good overall obviously yeah um, but I just hate when it's like it's like she's still a kid. She's still developing, like, and as a as a human being, obviously, right, it's just right. like it's like yes, yeah, some kids can be smart, but some of the things she did, I was like, come on, really? Like, she's still like ten years old. Yeah. But I think one of the main things that inspired it's the this force. Ooh. <laughs> I know, right? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> the, the main point of my my gripe, though. Was um, and this is gonna be random, but like the original Jurassic Park movie, where you see mm-hmm. like oh, I forget was it Timmy and like his sister or yeah, whatever. Yeah. I just thought of that off the top of my head. Yeah, we just watched that for our podcast. Oh no kidding! Yeah, we just did that. So yeah, I know I know what you mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's awesome. Um, but it was just like oh my god, Timmy, like just the the crying because Sam, like, Sam Neill wants nothing to do with the kids. Yeah, and then um, and Laura Dern is like. Maybe we can have kids someday. <laughs> let's, let's try to see how it goes with these kids or yeah. whatever. And those kids are like Spielberg kids. They were, they're for, for the most part pretty innocuous, but like... Yeah, they were just standing... They were like, a little annoyed. They had to get like, saved and whatever, but you know... I yeah. like that Spielberg kids because it's so true. Yeah, they were... They had, they had, he can't have a movie without them in it. Yeah. You know, like E.T. Like, 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 is like, I, I do, I, I very much see what you're saying though about that because it bothers you. me too. Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, especially when, like, you know, the uh, sister has, I can't, her character name is escaping there. Oh, I, I, I think that's part of the, that's part of the problem though, too. <laughs> yeah. You can't remember. Not memorable. Yeah, yeah, it's part yeah, of the problem. Yeah. Well, Timmy was memorable because it's like they screamed his name fifty thousand times. Where it was yeah. like, Timmy! It's like, <laughs> don't do that. It's like, yeah, yeah. Again, that's a kid's name. But like when the T Rex, <laughs> the T Rex come, comes out of the compound and like the girl's flashing the flashlight. Right. I'm just like, turn it off. Yeah, you like, dumb idiot. No, it's just screaming at I think even kids would know to turn off the damn flashlight. <laughs> Go and wave it like this. Ah, just it always bugs me, and like, and then in movies like, and I know I'm a little more mainstream with these examples, but like Top Gun Maverick, like I was kind of talking about it over lunch today with some of the guys here. It's just like they they have a little bit of like uh, an obscure romance plot going on of a character. They I mean, come on, you were expecting Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer to get together. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, no, Kiss Marty. But that's actually one of the reasons why John Carpenter's The Thing works so well is because specifically John Carpenter had 
constructed that movie with just a specific male cast and we wouldn't have to worry about well, what's the relationship between mm. these people mm. and everything like that. It's like, no, it's a serious, it's, it's men yeah. doing manly <laughs> things in the Arctic. Check an alien's ass. Check ass. Yeah, like, and, and he actually says that, like, on, if you watch the special features on the... Yeah, he was just the, like, we purposely had no females because we didn't want people thinking about those aspects of the film. We just wanted to make a good horror film. Yeah. Mm, right. So, and, and so, like, yeah, he cut that out for that reason. <laughs> for the reason of your hot take. <laughs> nice. Well, I appreciate him a little bit more. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Clay. All right, so we're going to go into hot takes here. I have two specific ones. I was all prepared, and I was like, I can't wait to talk about Rob Liefeld and my hot takes. <laughs> yeah. And you mentioned Rob Liefeld, and, uh, and, to you, and like this is totally prepared and not a rebuttal to what you said, just to be clear, because I was thinking about <laughs> No, we can talk about Rob Liefeld. Before. So, uh, so we've had him on our show, and, um, and I will agree with you. He is absolutely a really, really nice guy. Yeah. He's super cool and uh, you know obviously I'm a big Snake Eyes G.I. Joe fan he did a whole Snake Eyes uh, uh, series for G.I. Joe and we, we talked to with him about what a, we've talked to him like two or three times actually and uh, gracious guy like I can't believe that um of the, I, I got to talk to like an image founder on our podcast. Right, like yeah. I kind of like have a little checklist. Like I've met Eric Larson. Like I want to kind of meet all of those guys. And like you know, th- to me, those are like my milestones. It's like the, these guys are all super cool. And um, here's a hot take comic that you are written comic book take you are not going to like. I think that Rob Liefeld actually is. A great comic book artist in the vein of if you look at his work in the in the perspective of somebody that's very much influenced by Jack Kirby and mm-hmm. like you like you mentioned before, like he really can draw dynamically and there's not a lot of people uh, I think that he gets shit on a lot because he can't draw feet or whatever the thing is. <laughs> well he can't draw he can't draw anatomy in general. But but, 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 but the but the thing <laughs> is that I think that I actually think that he's a genius comic book artist because he is able to he has like such a dynamism in in his stuff and it's not everybody's taste and I totally recognize that so that was my hot take that I didn't think people would agree with or, or like or, or whatever. So uh, I've softened up on Rob, Rob Liefeld like a lot over the years because of and here's why it's because he's a nice guy and I think and I think in a, in a world where of, of especially like of comics where it's it's a dying industry and um you know, the, the or at least the mainstream comics, it's not doing very well, and people don't want to read that stuff anymore. It's it's definitely yeah. it's definitely floating towards indie a lot. He he helps create a avenue for people who are doing indie stuff, and he's never he's never come out and been like, I'm the greatest comic book right, ever. Exactly, exactly. And, yeah. um, and yeah. he drew exactly what people would want during like those early 80s uh, or, or late 80s early 90s type so, like he was perfect and um, I would I would also love to talk to Rob Liefeld like even though I'd buy like, that man lunch yeah, like, even, <laughs> yeah. like, like even though like I don't think he's the, a good artist or, or like and I see like all these issues with his work that doesn't mean that I wouldn't be like, dude, you're Rob Liefeld, you know? Yeah, like, right, right, so, right. Yeah, there's a separation between the person and yeah, the and because uh, because there's because that's just the the thing is there's like a lot of artists out there who are like they they can't draw 
and they're kind of a scummy person. Yeah, and yeah. it's just like no, like Rob Liefeld can't he, draw, but he's, he's a, got he's a lot. A cool he's dude. got a lot. Of, he knows a lot about the business. You yeah, know, like all the stuff we were talking about. Yeah, before. like uh, yeah, I know. I, I totally respect that. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not that's not as as hard of a hot, hot of a take. As I think it is <laughs> but here's my here. here's my actual hot take, which sure. was not pre prepared, but. Um, <laughs> But I'm a, I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I do like, um, uh, I, I was going to say, the Strange New Worlds episodes. That it's very much the original series. Very cool. I was I felt I was like carrot and sticked the way through Discovery up to like these new, I don't even know if you guys watch Discovery, but Discovery is like the new property, <laughs> and they have another ship, and it jumps through sort of does a time they do this time travel thing into the future and anyways uh and then there was like the picard series and um and you know i know everybody like watched obi-wan and watched all the star wars thing so paramount does this thing with with star trek i was into discovery just because it was new trek when it was first on i was like very enthusiastic way mm-hmm. into it like their new takes on things didn't care things were different designs and they were doing a new thing and um, and then um, sort of the later series, the most recent series of Discovery, just kind of like got like kind of boring. They went way into the future, like thousands of years in the future or something, and uh, and so they have different technology and stuff like that. And it's always like if they're going to set something in Star Wars time, uh, Star Trek time, but like they do in the old Star Wars comics, to go like. Before, like when the Jedi's first started, or like they go way. There's so many stories you can tell. Like you were saying about those anime shows. Like there's so many stories. Why do they have to go back to the well so many times? You know. So my hot take is that like the Star Trek that's new, that isn't Strange New Worlds, is really kind of boring to me. The new Picard is like kind of boring. I just kind of slog through these things that I love, and I'm not going to not watch it because I love Star Trek. But I love it. But I, I, I got right set. I'm, I'm sitting there with my girlfriend. I'm like, is this fucking show over yet? <laughs> <laughs> I want to watch. I want to love watching Picard, but I don't. Well, it's kind of like, and I feel like the opposite when it comes to like the Orville. Like I, I got, I've been watching mm-hmm. the new season of the Orville, and I like these are like the episodes of Star Trek that I dreamt of actually seeing right. someday. Yeah, yeah, that's what I do love about the Orville too. It's a way better uh, better Star, Star Trek, Trek Star Trek than Star Trek. Star Trek. Yeah. No, and I the thing is like like Seth MacFarlane isn't even focusing on comedy anymore. Even though this goes against what I was just saying about Dragon Ball. Like I'm surprised by how much good drama Seth MacFarlane actually has been putting into the new world yeah. season. I, here, here's the thing. This is what I said. Uh, I don't know if I said it. Like, I think I maybe just put it up as a Facebook post, but they should give Seth MacFarlane the director, writer, maybe with Simon Pegg to do the fourth Star Trek movie or just oh, get let him do his own, like, a Star Trek Next Generation era, yeah. but give him a movie for Star Trek and see what he does with it. I think that would be the best. Um, are you? Uh, do you uh, enjoy Red Letter Media at all? Oh, I love those. I love um, those. Have you seen their Picard breakdowns? Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I thought they had a really interesting take because I love how they... I always just love their yeah. stuff. I'm like, why do I even podcast? Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's just 
disagree. You know what I mean? Like, I, like, I disagree with them and they're funny. So. Well, so, the funny thing is, is like a lot of times I do agree with them, but I had the opinion before I watched their take on yeah. it. And I was just like, oh, that's interesting. They have the same take that I do. Mm-hmm. I, I thought with like Picard, I don't watch Star Trek or anything like that, but um, I thought there, it was really interesting when they were talking about Picard that they were just like, this isn't Star Trek because Star Trek was never about like old depressed people doing action-y things. Like it was about, <laughs> it was about explorers looking like and like he, he was contact yeah like like Picard was never like this sad old man who needed to like redeem himself and and do like these amazing action fights it was like that wasn't the point so like why are they doing it to yeah. him now yeah why does it look so different yeah why does it look like why does it the series of Picard like in general look like the new season of the Orville looks yeah, yeah. why yeah. is it why is it this weird Dramedy, yeah, and, and, and like the, the, the tone of the, the filmography is dark, and like it's, it's just it's colored bizarre. over. It's bizarre. So, and they're not yeah. in spaceships either. You know, yeah. it's like what is going on here? Like, if I wanted to watch the Seventh Seal, I would watch the Seventh <laughs> Seal. Exactly. So. Cool. That's great. Oh, takes. All right. The last one that we haven't. I actually I have two. One of them I, I don't think is a hot take, which is like you know I, I could complain about like people buying brand new Call of Duties and stuff every year and that like, is the same game and everything. And I think, but I think that's John Madden to the Madden games. Yeah. yeah. Sports game. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. I, I, I don't think that one's going to be as interesting. So uh, I'm going to do one that's kind of a look into what we're probably going to do later in the show. But anyways, like I... I was kind of looking forward to um, Multiverse of Madness to come out on Disney Plus because I wanted to see it for free, and I knew that it, like I, I wasn't gonna put it like put myself through paying for like a theater ticket for or anything like that. But after watching uh, Doctor Strange's Multiverse of Madness, I had definitely thrown down. I never have to watch another Marvel movie ever again in my entire life. Uh, like, um, like I, I, I made the decision watching that movie because if there was anything that was going to save it, it was the interest of the multiverse, and it fell flat on its face. And it was the movie was boring. It was so freaking boring. You agree? Oh yeah, I hated it. Yeah. I, I enjoyed it, but I agree with you. It was boring. I enjoyed it, but at the same time, I saw we didn't we didn't get all the multiverse stuff. Yeah. We only went to technically one different <laughs> other yeah. multiverse. Well, but that's the answer. They just go to the next thing. If, it, if people hate it in one universe, oh, we'll just make you know another universe. Which is the <laughs> reason? Which is like the reason why they fixed having all this freaking Spider-Man movies. Which, by the way, Spider-Man was still pretty good. Yes. Like I, I, I like the, the Far From Home series. Like that's like the only thing Marvel is worth anymore. It's just which is Sony. And the Spider Verse and yeah. Into the which is hilarious because it's Sony. Like, I will really see, really see Into the Spider Verse because I don't think that counts. Really, it doesn't. It, that's Sony. That's different. yeah. And, and and like I mean, if you want to give Lord and Miller more control over the the Marvel universe, then we'll talk, right? Yeah. But like even like Taika Waititi is is doing the next you know Thor movie. And I don't even want to see it. People say, people are saying it's all. Oh, it's all right. I actually, yeah. I am yeah. my friend from Japan because it's been out in Japan for over a week. Oh, she really? actually really oh, wow. enjoyed it. Yeah. yeah. Well, like I don't even want to see it because yeah. like it's just don't give a shit. Well, you're yeah, gonna to watch it. Me, to me now, yeah. it's, it's not me going to see a, a Thor film or a Marvel film. To me, it's more about seeing a Taika Waititi film. Right. It's like 
if Taika Waititi was not involved with this, I would not be interested and, at all. And that's the reason why I would see it as well. However, I didn't even know that it was directed by Taika Waititi. Well, he did point. Ragnarok. I know he did, but like, <laughs> but um, yeah, even, that was that's like in my opinion, that's the best Marvel movie because it is. it's not a Marvel movie. But I think that I think they got him. Like Jack yeah, Kirby too. That movie. Yes. Yeah. I think I think they got him like for for Marvel now, and now they're like, okay, we let you do what you want to do. Now you got to do us a favor, which I think is that like I, I don't see it getting any better. Like I and 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 my problem also was like I, I wanted it to be. I didn't want another Thor movie. I wanted him to go off with the with the Guardians of the Galaxy because he was going to be a good mix with the like Guardians of the Galaxy. Like join them as you join the Avengers. Yeah, and, yes. it's just like, and now it's going to be Thor and the Guardians of the Galaxy. And then you have like this ragtag team that just has Thor in it, and they can all be funny together. It's like yes. Yeah, and then it, yeah. But, but it's not. It's like, oh, well, he went to go join the Guardians of the Galaxy, but yeah, he still has his own movie first because it's funny because he's fat, haha, poop, poop, joke. So it's like, <laughs> okay, like, stop it. Like, uh, yeah. I think the issue, too, is like they had the Infinity Saga, 22, 23 movies. Yeah. They had a, a decent story. I'm not going to say it was absolutely incredible because some people obviously will differ. It's the same movie over and over and over again. Right. But <laughs> the, the point is, there was an overall story. They had a big baddie that they built up for, God, I can't believe 23 movies. That's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Right? They built up Thanos. Yeah. For such a long time. They built him up. He had his day, he's been defeated, and they wrapped it up nicely. And I was like, great, now Marvel can move on to something new. But the problem is, it's like, I feel like they haven't established a foundation for a new big bad, and it's just random pieces going random places. In my mind, as a casual consumer, I know you want to go somewhere with this. <laughs> I'm a very casual consumer, but like, I'm lost in the sauce. And it just, <laughs> like, it lost in the sauce. It just doesn't make. Okay. Any sense consumed. So they have, right? So they have established what the next thing is going to be because they introduced the Skrulls. And the Skrulls were infamously a part of the saga, which was yeah, the secret war. Secret, war. secret invasion. Secret invasion. The war. Awful! Yeah. It's so bad. Like, yeah, it was like, like terrible. Like Marvel should have lost all their money, went bankrupt, and quit after <laughs> after the secret invasion. And that's what they're doing. <laughs> yeah. like, wow, we should do secret invasion. That's a great idea. That would be like if DC was just like, you know what we should do? We should make films on the on the new fifty two. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. so Remember that thing that almost yeah. bankrupt our entire company? <laughs> we should do that. Yeah. So now it makes I'd better sense. have the Batman Albert Fudd comic book be <laughs> adapted into a movie. So now it makes more sense because I think they brought that initial like story point up in what was it Captain Marvel. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, but I thought to me that was in the Infinity Saga, right? So I was like, oh, in a way, one thing as a casual consumer, Joe, every man, like Daredevil, Punisher, Agents of Shield, all that TV yeah. mm-hmm. exists in that timeline, that that framing. So now there's whatever we get from Marvel TV and the new movies is in the not the Thanos world, <laughs> right? You know, it's, yeah. it's in this new scroll or whatever it's going to be. Yeah. And uh, it's just like, and then you know what they're going to do. The movies are kind of 
almost just they might as well just be on TV. Right. Yeah. And you know what they're gonna exactly. do too? They're gonna they're gonna show major characters being squirrels. Like you're gonna find out that like and, the they're, oh, and then they're gonna kill the squirrel, and then they're gonna be like, that was a multiverse. Ha! And then, <laughs> and then that's it. Is it a multiverse or is it a scroll? Tell me. Yeah. You know, like it's which, like which Battle, we're, we're just gonna have scroll version of Battlestar Galactica. He's a silent. He's a silent. He's a silent. Well, he's a silent. Well, that was just it. Is like when Secret Invasion came out. We were in high school when Secret Invasion was coming out, and and right in the first issue of, of Secret Invasion, like you find out that Electra was a scroll, and it's like, oh yeah, she was a scroll the whole time. It's like, okay, so what if Elektra was your favorite comic book hero ever, and you loved reading Elektra, and then now everything you've read about Elektra is totally gone because she's an alien spy, she's not even the character you thought she was, she's just a scroll. What are you thinking? Yeah. <laughs> like, why would right. you do that? You just ruined, like, every Elektra fan's, like, all, like, their whole fandom. Because you just made her a bad guy and a scroll and a spy. It was like, why did you do that? Yeah, it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. <laughs> you know what the worst defense is? And I, has anybody at this table, like, everyone seen the multiverse of madness? No. Yes, I, 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 have. I have. Well, I have. Okay. You don't have to. Yeah, I, I, I really don't care. Dude, I, it sounds like you know the care about Marvel is like the bottom of the barrel type stuff for me. Awesome. If you don't care, then great. Because the biggest offense to me was casting John Krasinski as Reed Richards. I yeah. thought that was I, awful oh, That's not even a spoiler. I already saw the memes for that. That's I already knew I that, thought, so. like, he's actually, like, one of my favorite actors. I think he plays, like, some other great characters and other great roles. He's a great character actor. He's a phenomenal He's playing character. Superman in the Super Pets movie. Yeah. <laughs> Keanu Reeves is Batman. Yeah. Oh, okay. Anyways, so, like, no, I, I can roll with that. But, like, I'm just, like, I don't see him as a Reed Richards. I'm like, what? What? You just look so out of place <laughs> Now. Well, I mean, he gets a, a lot of the fans were like, before the movie, not having nothing to do with the movie, were like, <laughs> he would make the perfect Reed Richards. And that's why Kevin Feige did it, is to back, what do they call it, like, um, when you re-engineer something from the... Oh, yeah, um, reverse engineer. They reverse engineered it so that he was the meme of... Him as Reed Richards, so that's why. And actually, a, a good point is um, this is going to be a spoiler. So <laughs> we were talking about Picard earlier. The the Professor X that um, that shows that, up, yeah, but that Patrick Stewart, Stewart plays isn't the X Men universe uh, Days of Future Past Professor right. X. Yes. Right, he's yeah. the animated. Version from the '90s. That's the X Men that he is in that movie, which is different. He's a different. He's Professor yeah. X, but he's a different Professor X, which I thought was like kind of cool. But oh yeah, you know, that was a cool aspect. Yeah, multiverse. But that's it. That's the multiverse. I was like, they just killed him. Like, yeah. And, and yeah. the other thing too is that when he came into the room, speaking of going back to our last segment on soundtracks for movies, they they played the X Men '90s intro. Which was the funniest thing as he's just like scooting along. Excelsior, Excelsior. Yeah, it was it was funny. Well, before I get, I guess before we this gets too spoiler heavy, we should move the show. Yeah, yeah. All right. So up next we have the band Giddle Giddle Hustler, and this was a band that that 
I fell in love with, but they're wild girl style. Kind of like they're the, the music you would hear while like a biker gang is beating the shit out of each other in a bar or something <laughs> like that. Sadly, they're not together anymore, but their style still lives on in acts like Odoboki Beaver, The Let's Goes, and even The Linda Lindas. And this song comes off of, unfortunately, their only full-length album, Love and Roll. Here are Gido Gido Hustler with Spherical Mass. got your pop culture reactions and news over at leaguepodcast.com the league of ordinary gentlemen comic book podcast is more than just comic check us out wherever you get your podcast on social at leak podcast
growing up Pretty and sweet, yeah Have a little gift and we think it's neat There's just one thing we have to ask you to do We're going on tour really soon And we'll be hitting a town near you So save that virginity till we come to your town. Don't give it up to the high school jock, your science teacher, or even a cop. Save that virginity till we come to your town. It doesn't matter if you got braces, just don't smile when the cops are around. Save that virginity till we come to your town. minutes, probably all you can handle right now, save that virginity till we come to your town, it doesn't matter if you're 14, it doesn't matter if you're alive, save that virginity till we come to your Sometime in our penthouse deck You'll be alone in the morning So you can reflect With a really nice letter That said last night never happened You little pump troll Ooh, save that virginity Till we come to your town <laughs> Doesn't matter if you speak English Just nod your head when we come around Save that virginity Till we come to your What's so civil about war anyways? From his album, The Heart of a Rhino, that was Robbie Road Steamer. <laughs> with that PSA song, Save Your Virginity Until We Come to Your Town. Now, <laughs> um, I went to, uh, I was in TV production with his guitarist at the time, Pete Nintendo, and I actually owe a lot to Robbie Road Steamer for helping me gain a social life in the Boston area because, like, he was this masculine character. Clay, you've been to a road steamer shows, right? Uh, yeah, I yeah, booked one or two back in the day. <laughs> yeah, it's they are an experience. Like he's kind of like a pro wrestler who decided to be a singer. Is the best way to describe road steamer. Very funny, very humorous. He's still doing his thing now on the West Coast and such. But unfortunately, unfortunately, <laughs> like he tried to do the Hollywood East. Hollywood East just didn't happen over here. But, yeah, I used to hang out with Pete all the time at TV production. I would hang out with Robbie at both his shows, and we'd have the street steamer uh, meetups and everything like that. It was always a good time with Robbie. So, 
as we have talked about, like, the love of music and everything like that, you can't really talk about the evolution of rock music without factoring in probably the most influential band of all time, which is the Beatles. Now, while we did have artists beforehand, like Buddy Holly, Elvis, Little Richard, while they paved the road to rock music, the Beatles basically showcased how their sound could be adapted into all of the genres of the world. And it's why you can't argue with the fact that they are the most influential band of all time. However, it's different when you try to put them on your list as your favorite band of all time. So that's why I want to go around the table and see where you would personally put the Beatles on your personal 100 list. Mm. Would you put them at the top, in the top 10, top 20, top 50, top 100? Or do they not even rank at all? I feel like Greg would be a great person to actually start talking about this. Sure, I'll give you my... They're just a, they're just a cheap knockoff of the monkeys. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought, I actually thought, to be honest, the Beatles came first and the monkeys came after. I was, I was joking. Okay, yes. see, <laughs> for, for those who are wondering what that noise was, that was just the airplane going way over my head. <laughs> and it has to be a tall airplane because Greg gets better in tall. So I am so so really Here's a joke. funny joke that if you don't didn't know that they have the the Beatles are called the Fab Four. They used to call the monkeys the prefab four. <laughs> They're prefabricated. <laughs> That's great. Uh, for me though, with the Beatles. Um, so music for me is more of, and I was trying to explain this to Jonathan and Andrew on the train ride here, music for me is more like fluid, so like there's not necessarily like, oh, I love like these certain artists or bands and I have to place them on a, in a certain order on my list. It's more like whatever sounds good to me at the time, like I'll listen to, like overly listen to, I could listen to the same song or, you know, yeah. a million times in a row and then finally get sick of it and then never hear it again type of thing. <laughs> But with the Beatles, for me, they were definitely, like, influential. Like, my mom kind of introduced me to the Beatles. That was, like, her favorite band. Yeah. Um, so, of course, I don't listen to them as much as I did growing up. Uh, but they're still definitely, in my eyes, like, a top ten band. Would I put them as number one? Probably not. But I would say they definitely earned the right to be top ten greatest, you know, bands of all time for me. And ironically enough, before um, you described the segment as like ranking them as a band, I thought you meant ranking them like person by person. <laughs> like who's the best? No. I was like, oh, I'd love to go into that because I uh, definitely have a couple thoughts on that. Uh, and if you'll entertain the notion, do <laughs> it. I'd love to start with the best Beatle of all time, Pete Best. <laughs> yep. He, he missed out on the train, and I feel bad. Although we did figure out he had some, he did get royalties for one uh, anthro, um, anthropology. The anthropology. 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 Yes. Anthropology is the Ruttles album. And we saw, we saw uh, yeah, when we looked that up, it was seven figures. Seven figures. Like, for, one, for one album that he like was, uh, he was like in the Beatles for a couple albums, and then. <laughs> He's made seven figures like years later down the line when they released the anthology. He probably had grandkids at the time. <laughs> like, what well, is this? well, funny enough, we were actually wondering what he was doing now. Um, and I guess he is like retired, but he started his own Pete Best band and 
Uh, so yeah, he seems to be doing well for himself. So you yeah, know, he tours us. Yeah, he tours with his own band, and yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, you always have that. I was Pete Best. I was the first drummer of the Beatles, and then but they didn't even tell him why they fired him. Yeah, they, they, they didn't even tell him. They were just like, <laughs> "Nope, you're gone." And, yeah, it's like, and I guess George Martin, the producer, I believe, let him go because they were trying to do what was the song? There was some song where they was they were afraid he was just a little bit off tempo, and they wanted to get in a replacement drummer just for like that song. It turned out to be Ringo Starr, and then like the rest is kind of history, and they just let him go. Um, but. Yeah, so that's the reason why I believe he's the number one. <laughs> the best is the best. You know? um, but then I would say, ironically enough, Ringo's number two because um, he's just, his personality is so. Great. Ironically, that's how many Beatles songs he wrote, <laughs> and, and they were the best. They were amazing songs. Ringo Starr is not a, not a joke. He's amazing. <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'd say Paul McCartney's number three for me. Uh, John Lennon, and then I'm just not a fan of George Harrison. He had like one good song that I liked, and then it was just kind of like, eh. I just I always discard him. He's, whenever people do Beatles impressions, though, George Harrison's the one that they do the impression of. He's the one who talks like this. Yeah. You know, like that was a, that was really bad. Yeah, people, on, the, on the Beatles, yeah. I feel like, like I could talk like Paul. Is it Paul or John? Like <laughs> the <laughs> Yeah, no, that's a George Harrison impression. Oh, that's the George. That's Harrison. the George Harrison impression. <laughs> like, but everybody's like, no, that's what all the Beatles sound like. No, it's not. That's, <laughs> that's really funny. Yeah. <laughs> the reason why I know that too, just as an aside, is because um, Christine and I watched uh, my wife for the listeners. Um, we watched the Disney Plus thing on the Beatles, like that, the Get Back uh, live album thing. It's boring as hell, but um, but it, like we watched each. There's three episodes, and each one of them is three hours long. We watched an hour and a half of the three first hours one. Per yeah, hour. and it, it's it's because they were just sitting in a room like, writing music, and like you think that that's an interesting thing, and for some people it is, but like there's boring parts of writing music. Okay, yeah. um, I mean, like I even felt for Yoko Uno, Ono, who was legitimately sitting at the back of a warehouse <laughs> like this. Just just like just sitting and watching them play, you know. Why aren't they shrieking yet? <laughs> I don't get it. Yeah, but uh, but that's where I felt like it was like, oh, George Harrison's that Beatles yeah. voice sound. Yeah. Anyways, anyways. <laughs> no, but that was kind of like the end of my hot take. It's my list of top. <laughs> that was your hot take. Yeah, yeah. hot take. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So I would say, but for the band as a whole, definitely top ten. Okay, you, you can't discredit them. Yeah. All right, Clay. I'm, I'm gonna. I'm, Probably a lot older than everybody in here, so uh, I gra- I call myself. I graduated from a college of classic rock knowledge, which is like this. They would always say that on the classic rock station here when I was one hundred point seven. Yeah, classic rock knowledge, and I, you know, I grew up listening to the radio and classic rock, and and uh, and then there was always these Beatles shows, is like. There was these Breakfast other, with the Beatles. Breakfast with the Beatles. There was always um, there was like Desert Island This, and then there was like a there was a show that played the entire Beatles catalog, Beatles A to Z, and I always loved that. And I had a bunch of tapes. We're talking eight track tapes, records, cassettes, mm-hmm. vinyl. Uh, all my life growing up, and you might be thinking, oh, I'm going to put them like I'm going to rank them as like my number one. Um, band of all time no but definitely in the top five my favorite band is the who i just of that stuff that i love when i was growing up the who 
talk to me a little bit closer to my experience. Um, but uh, I always love the Beatles and, and Zeppelin and Floyd and all these bands. When I think bands, I think of it that way. I also think of like there's a, a, the whole part of my life that's like punk rock. So like maybe my favorite band ever is like the Swing and Utters. So like they don't really compare to the Beatles or the Stones or anything like yeah. that. Um, but um, but anyway, so I would definitely put them in my top five bands of all time. <laughs> and uh, as someone that's played in a band and and been in the studio and. and uh, and, and and knowing a lot about the Beatles, I actually found Get Back to be like pretty fascinating. I, I loved watching it. And I understand how it could be boring to some people, but to me, I, I liked I liked it. It was a cool little like behind the scenes thing. Like people, you know, the original movie that the, all that stuff was based on, like really kind of was a bummer for a lot of people. And this kind of like made it really like a positive thing mm-hmm. um so anyways uh you know definitely top 10 of, of all of my bands and, and you know probably top five love the beatles been listening to them more recently since the get back thing kind of like re reactivated my interest in them but uh but yeah so that's where i'm at probably a top five but not my number not my number one sure yeah. okay super cool now for me i would say that it's hard to say because the way that I would rank it is, is who would I prefer to listen to first, right? Like, if I had a bunch of albums in front of me, which, like, what would I prefer to listen to first? Which is probably the reason why they would end up in my top 50. And I think the only reason why I say that is because somewhere along the lines, I don't even know if there's, like, 50 bands that I listen to. <laughs> so um, so I, I would say they fall somewhere within there and who I would prefer to listen to. And I think that there's a bunch of albums that, like, if I could sit and listen to all of them straight through the whole way through, I would definitely keep picking things out of the pile that were not the Beatles first, unless it was, like, the Sgt. Pepper, you know, like, I would I would probably take that and be like, yeah, I'll definitely listen to Sgt. Pepper the whole way through. That's a really cool story, really fun time and I think that era of the Beatles is really where they you know they got to break out of their shell I know drugs were involved and stuff but like um, <laughs> but it, it, it's where they finally started to become artists that didn't just want to hold your hand you know right <laughs> so like, it's like okay great yeah it's boring um, but I, I think that you know when they started to come out with that kind of stuff it's like alright they know how to rock mm-hmm. so yeah. um, I would say top 50 yeah I know it is it is really interesting to think about is like how did they come up with such a song as I wanna hold your hand, I wanna hold your hand, I wanna hold your hand, I wanna hold your hand. Like, wow, that's that's amazing. It's, it's, it's like when Queen came out with I want to the, ride the my bicycle. Only, the Beatles were only banned for like four years or something. It was like less than ten years. Think yeah, about that. So I feel like the, the, the reason why they broke up is because they got burnt out so quickly. Because they were like recording album after album after album after album without a break whatsoever. I feel like if they were given a break to actually just do their own thing and just come back every couple of years or so, they probably would have still been together. The Stones and the Who still play shows. Oh my gosh, isn't that crazy? That's insane. That's insane. Yeah. But um, they're not recording all the time. Yeah. Although you know, you know what's funny though is you know how people always say that Yoko Ono broke up the Beatles. Uh, maybe, maybe she just is saying, "You seem kind of tired. Maybe you should like, you know, just take a break for a year or something." Like, and like, and that was all she suggested. And like, she broke up the Beatles. <laughs> um, but uh, as far as like my take on the Beatles, is it, and actually this has got me thinking. I was just like, "Oh yeah, like." Um, I, I have a I have a Spotify playlist that's like all my classic rock, and I don't even think I even touched the Beatles yet. Like I didn't add them on. I was like, why haven't I added the Beatles? Like it's like full of Elton John songs, but like, um, <laughs> but there's like no Beatles on there. 
Um, and and I, I really got to do that because there are some really good bangers for from the Beatles. But uh, yeah, I'm I'm not like into like their '60s pop. Or, like that's not really super interesting to me. Um, and it, it was when they started becoming a little bit more experimental with their sound. And, and but you have to understand that was a different time, and and they had like an audience that they're going for, and, and like the women were screaming for these men, and it's just like wow, like that's impressive. How do they do that? Um, but but then it's when things start getting experimental, and they all start kind of exploring their own. Like oh, like I want to write this song. Like we have, and and this is an interesting theme. But I think my familiarity with the Beatles isn't specific albums themselves, but you know the hits. Uh, because when you listen to radio, like you grow up, you listen to WROR, and it's like oh, okay, cool, you hear the Beatles. But it's only like the radio stuff. I've never taken the time to actually sit and listen to an album and, and listen to those, the, the songs that I've never actually heard before. It's kind of like Elton John as well. You know, like Elton John, you know, like everybody knows his good stuff, but nobody has ever, like unless you were from that era, like you, like sat down with a, with an Elton John album. Our, our mom was a huge Elton John fan, so we, yeah. we did. We listened to every Elton John album and listened to all the songs. Um, the thing that I loved most about the Beatles was the movies like Help is a phenomenal yeah. film yeah. and it's hilarious like it's so like Zucker yeah it's it's so funny and those are good it makes me feel bad that they didn't get the option to do that Lord of the Rings movie that they wanted to do oh interesting okay but 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 the reason why is J.R.R. Tolkien told him, no, the Beatles annoy me. <laughs> which is Chad, such a, which is such a Tolkien, his top it's such a Tolkien thing to say. I love yeah, what a Chad. Um, and, uh, but, but, you yeah, know, it's... Bringing the ring to Moto. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, uh, but it is undeniable that the Beatles are, are super influential and they have amazing hits. Um, but, you know, being, like, a weird experimental guy and, and a metalhead and, like, listening, it's just outside of my genre. So, like, would I sit and listen to them over something like Sabaton or over something like, you know, Tub Ring or Dog Fashion Disco or, or, or like, a re- something really heavy? Probably not. But also on Sundays, probably. You know, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a very familiar thing to me. Like, I would totally listen to that. I, I would have a couple album sketches for you to listen front to back, like yeah. I used to back in my old-timey days, because the sequencing of the record, the, the, I mean, I do this with your metal records, too, you know, like, from beginning to end. Mm-hmm. This is the, this is, and this is side A, actually. These five songs are side A, and side B is these other five songs, but Revolver, or Rubber Soul, just listen to them front with an open mind. You're like, I'm gonna, I don't, I'm gonna put Elton John away for a minute, and I'm gonna <laughs> listen to one Beatles record. I'll pick one of those and okay. just see what what's in there because there's a lot of rich stuff. In yeah, there. heck yeah. I, like I know, and I'm totally open to it. But I've never like it's it's, yeah. the re, it's the realization of like I don't think I've ever had that opportunity to sit down and listen to a whole Beatles album because you just know like it's different than listening to them all as singles. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Mm. Um, and so, so for for me, like for that reason, they'd probably also be in my top fifty. But that's like my preferential top fifty yeah. as far as like influential musicians of all time. Like they'd obviously be in the top ten, twenty five, like or uh, you know maybe even the top twenty five. Who knows? But um, but yeah, like so so like they deserve all the praise that they get, and they deserve what what has been given to them. But yeah, like in my preferential thing, I see them as like a top fifty. Mm-hmm. You know, because like there's. I've, 
it's it's been a long time, and a lot of music has come out since the Beatles have, okay. have been making music. You know? Yeah. See, for me, like. I don't often find myself craving to listen to the Beatles, um, nor do I ever find myself getting like really deep into listening to the Beatles as much as I would listen to something like Queens of the Stone Age or Titus Andronicus or The Pillows. Um, but like, if I hear a Beatles song, I'm never turned off by it because... Hearing the Beatles yeah. is just something exactly. that's just, it's soothing, it's calming, no matter what song it is. It's familiar. It's familiar, and it makes you feel good. And going back to the movies aspect, you were talking about help. Um, for me, like, even although I don't get the craving to listen to the Beatles, I absolutely will get a craving to watch Yellow Submarine. Mm. Because not only is that just... A phenomenal movie, but just from a visual aspect, it is the most beautifully psychedelic film ever made. You know, I've never seen Yellow Submarine. Really? Yeah, I've never seen it. I recommend it. Yeah, they didn't, they didn't even play it for us in like animation school or anything like that. Yeah, I'm right? surprised because yeah. I feel like that there are a lot of techniques that you could have easily picked up on when yeah. you watch it. Right. Give it. It's it's got to be. Oh, I mean to. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. I, 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 I mm-hmm. need to do that. Just happen. But, like, when I listen to, like, Beatles-related stuff, the weird thing is, like, I find myself listening to stuff that's post-Beatles. Like, I, I listen sure. to a lot of... Oh, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Solo sure, stuff. yeah. Absolutely. I listen to a lot of John Lennon solo stuff. When it comes to George Harrison, like, I listen to more Traveling Wilburys than yeah. I do the Beatles, because I love the, the Traveling Wilburys. This is a super group of George Harrison, Bob Dylan... Um, Get Roy, back or... Yeah, Roy Orbison, and... Just some of the best minds in music coming together and actually making some phenomenal music. But for the Beatles itself, like, I do enjoy the music, but I don't ever find myself being like, you know, I could put on Please Please Me right now. I could put on <laughs> the Wayne album right now. Like, mm. I don't get that the same way I'm being like, I feel like listening to Art of War by Sound yeah. I don't, or. You're the horse by fucked up. I don't get that sort of feeling, which is why I find myself putting them more in like the top 100, not the top 50. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they're 51, 52 in that area. Like that was that. expected from you, Evan. Oh my gosh, you just threw yeah. a curveball in. Yeah. <laughs> but like, as much as I really enjoy the Beatles, it's I'm like I'm not in love. With the Beatles, uh, that I get that they are a part of my culture. Mm-hmm. I get that they play some part of my life, mm-hmm. even if it's not them. Their music influenced so many of the bands that are in my top fifty, top ten, number one band of all time, sort of thing. That's why I kind of see them as like a amorphous band. Like yeah. they don't yeah. belong anywhere because it's just like they're everywhere. They're <laughs> almost like it's a. It's, it's like water or something. It's like yeah. they're, they're like the band that the, every band defines itself by. Mm-hmm. And like there's like they're just always around. Everybody knows Beatles songs because they've been heard their whole life. They got a whole world. There's an analogy yep. that, that comes to mind revolving um, the Velvet Underground. Mm-hmm. Where, what was it? 20,000 people bought Velvet Underground in Nico. And each of those 20,000 people started their own band because of that album. Right, right. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, it, it's almost, it kind of makes me think of, like, you know, it, we, we talk about the blues. 
you know, like yeah. every 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 uh, band in the world, you know, stems from the blues. The blues. And blues. you kind of talk about the Beatles in the same way, where like you know, like. Except they're like a person, you know. Yeah. So like, I, 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 this analogy that I'm going for, I don't know if it's going to work, but I think people kind of just kind of get what I'm talking about. It, like, I do know what you mean. Like, yeah, like the blues is the same way we talk about rock and roll. The same way we talk about the Beatles and the rock yeah. and roll. Like, they're they're an entity now. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're they're in yeah. the atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to hear some blues? Yeah. Oh, is this? <laughs> oh yeah, you want to hear did some I, blues? Did I do it? Da, 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 da. <laughs> So, the next band I'm going to play on here are a punk rock band from Japan. They were called The Spunks. Unfortunately, like Gilgil Hustler, they disbanded. But they were known for their very out-of-control live shows. And this song is kind of like their most bluesiest song that they have written from the album Sex, Drink, Motor Rides. This is Flatbush, Big Fat Ma. <laughs>
hear that. Presenting a bold new adventure into Lovecraftian horror and black comedy, the Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program's acclaimed second series, The Terrible Secret of Lot X. So, to the woman in green. Estelle Thorpe has made a precarious purchase. Get anything good? Contents of automobile trunk, back seat, and glove box unsorted. Mmm, riveting. But this auction win is more than it seems. A deranged man tried to outbid me. He confronted me afterwards. That box you bought? Burn it if you know what's good for you. He who is not to be named killed those boys and it's my fault. Just like he's gonna kill you. To solve the paranormal mystery she's uncovered, Estelle assembles an unlikely crew of curiosity seekers. Moses Cubbenfield, a renowned mountain man author. Estelle, ma'am, I, I, I promise that if you are trying to win me over, the odds are good, but the goods are Cherry Featherbottom, a flapper who's more than she seems. I'm gonna just be upstairs cleaning my gun. <laughs> Who are you, my dad? <laughs> Oswald Sinclair, Hobo King. That's that, not jam. That is definitely the opposite of jam. That is people jam. Anjana Ramakrishnan, Estelle's partner in a cult adventure. You summoned a demon and you don't remember it, darling. No firearms. Not right now. And Kenneth Rogers, a notorious gambler. I can play cards any old day, but chicken lunch at Thorpe Manor? Mm-mm. That sounds like a mighty fine time, I tell you what. Together, they encounter monsters above and below, and an unholy conspiracy that threatens to shred their sanity to tatters. This is startling and strange, but darling, we might be onto something here. This is why we came to Arkham, after all. Not for murderous grave robbers and disappearing children. The Necronomicon. Whatever your intent with this book, I caution you and say with all certainty, you will find more danger than answers. You brought me back. You, you are brought me back. Brought you back from what? This is not our world. This is not our world at all. When the dance is done and his infernal song rings loudest, there will be no lewd carnality denied to us. You leap onto this thing's back and bury your hatchet in its neck. He howls. I will eat you. Dear Lord, what happened to you? It's t- take too long to explain. We gotta get to uh, get to the hospital. I'll tell you what right now, we, we can't go to the police with this. Yeah, I suspect you're right. They'll put us in the sanitarium. I... The air gives way to the crushing depths. You're drowning. You're drowning in a sea of yellow. In this program, our cast actually lives the terror. It's an improvised audio drama that uses Chaosium's Call of Cthulhu role-playing game and the wits of our players to weave these uncanny tales. This is a cinematic radio play where anything can happen, and these poor souls never know what's going to crawl out of the darkness. Discover the terrible secret of Lot X, the entire second series now available on your favorite podcast player. Just search for The Call of Cthulhu Mystery Program or unlock all our secrets at CthulhuMystery.com.
that was Puffy, or Puffy and Yumi as we call him here in America, with More Like from the album Splurge. We all discovered Puffy thanks to Teen Titans. They would go on to have a really good cartoon, Hi Hi Puffy and Yumi. And I think most of us have had the opportunity to see them live. Saw them live. That was a, that was special. They were really good. Clay, have you ever seen Puffy and Yumi live? No, I haven't. Uh, it's fun. They're fun. Yeah, it's fun. Now, we are, of course, lovers of anime and animation and the like, and we can name many great shows that we've watched, but we can also name as many horrible anime or animations that we've seen in our life. We've seen as many as we have. Yeah, oh my God. You you have no fucking clue. (laughs) (laughs) So... Why don't we talk about that? The worst anime or the worst animated film, animated series you have ever seen in your life. And I feel like, Andrew, you are quite the expert when it comes to terrible anime. Well, so there's a, there's a, lot, of, um, there's a lot of bad anime out there. But, and and, and I, I will stick to anime in general because I don't want to go into anim, animation because... I mean, another beast. Yeah, that's a whole other beast. Or, like, Western animation, I should say. Because if there's one thing I know more than Japanese animation, it's Western animation. Um, and if we want to keep it simple and, 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 and short, because there's a lot of Western animation that is just awful. Like, especially today. I don't even want to talk about it. <laughs> yeah, well, so... And, but, but that's, like, that's the illness of, like, a, a whole... That's a symptom of the illness of, of the Western animation world. Yeah. With yeah. Thundercats Roar. And um, the copy pastas like it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's all the Tumblr artists. Whatever. So, um, basically, uh, my, the worst anime ever is... I've seen a lot of bad anime, but this one in particular was is probably the worst anime I've ever seen because it was the most offensive. Like, and, and, uh, and that was uh, Bigata HK. Okay. Um, and uh, which is which is a, it's it's, a, it's supposed to be a comedy show, and but I felt I felt like the whole premise of the show was just so disgusting and so degrading that like I didn't find any joy in it. It just made me sad. Um, and uh, it, so it's, yeah, it's a comedy about a young girl who wants to one lose her virginity but have sex with a thousand or one hundred people. A hundred people, yeah. And. And then, like, it, it, it's, it's a show that goes into the intricacies of, like, how children have sex. And I was just like... Yeah, and I was just like, this is sad because it's, it's, it's a product of the degradation of, like, how we treat kids and how we treat people in general and, and relationships and, and, how, and how we can... That notion of if you're not having sex, you're not cool. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, like that that whole thing, and but also just like the degeneracy of being like, oh, children have sex, so we might as well just encourage children to have sex, and it's just like I don't agree with that. And everything that was supposed to be funny about the show, I just it just fell on flat ear. And this is like, I'm not hating. I watched the whole thing. Like, I watched the entire show from beginning to end. And I do this a lot. I hate watch shows a lot so that I can, so that I'm not just a hater. I can have like an experienced viewpoint of it, of being like, that was a terrible show. I'll watch the whole thing so that I can have an expert opinion on this terrible show. Um, and, and that will for that, that forever stuck in my mind because of it's like how offensive to my senses it was and how offensive it was to my own moral compass um, of, of how this was supposed to be funny and how this was supposed to be comical but in the end it's a show about children teaching children how to have sex and I was just like there's nothing funny about this premise and we're actually like 
we're actually engaging in the downfall of children in general. Because who is it aimed for? Like, who's the audience of the show? Well, it was a show that aired like two in the morning in Japan, so like probably right. Preview so, of Doctor. So perverts, yeah, yeah. Um, and and that, but that's another thing too to add on top of that is it's pretty well marketed here in America. Like when it got a release from Funimation, I believe. Yeah. yeah. You know, and it was pretty well marketed at the time too. So like you know, Funimation was along the ride for saying, "Ha this show's funny." Well, and it's, and it's 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 the same. It's it's the same thing along the lines of okay, and here's I'm gonna get into some Western animation of like a show like Big Mouth. Besides the fact that the show looks awful, like like aesthetically, it's a gross show and it, it doesn't look pleasing to the eye. And the it has anim- Nick Kroll. Yeah, and, and it has Nick Kroll. The anime, yeah, Nick Kroll's like, oh, you know those three characters I, I like to do all the time? Let's make a whole show about the three characters I like to do the whole time. And then, um, and then you know, and then you're thinking like, okay, well, this show has nudity in it about children, about minors, and it's about puberty at a show aimed for adults. Why are adults watching this? But you wouldn't show nudity to children. Like, who's the audience? None of this is funny, and Nick Kroll isn't funny. And you know, I've lost all respect for John Mulaney. And it's just like, what a, what a disaster! And it's a, it's that same premise of like, why are we promoting this kind of stuff? Like within our society, and it should be like we should we should be focused on more dramatic. And I understand that there's different tastes for different people, but that's like one thing that just is offensive to my senses. And again, I watch all of Big Mouth. I watch all of it, and this is like, <laughs> and so I, I yeah. But uh, that that's my that's my answer. That's that's the worst anime I've ever seen. Not because it's a bad anime, but because it was the most offensive anime to me. Okay, so for me, like. When I wrote my review for this certain anime, I wrote it as an intervention <laughs> to the anime industry because it was me basically. This was like the, one of the very few anime reviews where I feel like I was screaming throughout <laughs> it because I wanted them to not do what this this show has been doing or what the show did before. And this was a show called My Sister, My Writer. Yeah. That was, oh, yeah. That show, was, that show was awful. So My Sister, My Writer, was it's about a girl who wins a light novel contest, but has her brother pretend that he was the one who wrote it. And the whole premise is basically like, she is in love with her blood brother. Yeah. It's an incest rom-com, which... I, I also want to... Actually, no, you finish and then I'll make sure. But... From my personal opinion, I sat through all ten episodes and even the bonus episodes that came out afterwards. <laughs> First and foremost, like the, the story was just straight up disgusting and awful. Like talk about a show that you feel offended watching. Like That's as much as I, yeah. I, I mean, as much as you know, I get what you're saying about B got to HK, but I've laughed at B got to HK. Not with the audience, but at the characters because of how fucking stupid they were. My sister, my writer, I watched like with jaw down to my gut. Just what? What (laughs) the fuck is this shit? What is going on here? Not to mention, you know, the writing was terrible. And even like, so the animation too was sometimes you were watching it. It's like, it's not animation. It's like still animation. And then come to find out that the animation staff was so chopped up that they were actually writing 
like cries of help in the end credits because of it. Wow. Um, and actually, that's that was the point I wanted to bring up. They baited you the first episode because the first episode they dumped all the budget into, and the first episode is beautiful. And then episode two shows up, and like the character models are wobbly and inconsistent, like their eyes are too far apart or too big, and so like you're baited by that first episode to be like, oh, this is a pretty good looking show, and then it's like, ah, all to pieces as it goes. It's on. funny because like the only really cared like they, they put all their budget in the feet shots yeah you notice yes. like in the opening credits they like have the most best looking animated feet you'll ever see and it's like that's where all the budget went yeah it's great and I think um this was, these are a couple actual quotes from my review I said the people it focuses on have less character development than a chatterbait live stream <laughs> <laughs> Which is true. I mean, at least you get some suspense with the Chatterbait live stream. Oh, is someone going to donate the high one today? Oh, is she going to use the big dildo? Is it small dildo? What's going to happen in this today stream? You don't get any of that from my sister, my writer. Do with the animation. Like that was like, I wonder what they're going to do today. Oh, their eyes are so far apart. I will say though, I'll say that I will give it credit for doing one good thing, and that is it killed the incest rom-com genre. It did, yeah. yeah. you ever noticed, like, ever since that show came out, no one's been making shows like that anymore. Yeah. I said in my review, it's gross. The people who write it are gross, and the people who bought enough of the original light novels to make it into an actual anime series should be ashamed of themselves. Just fucking stop it. And they did. <laughs> It was it was like what uh, what uh, Mummy Three and uh, Crystal Skull did to the the adventure genre. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it's what John Carter of Mars did to the. Oh no, no, it's what uh, Mars Needs Moms did to, did to, yes. Mars, did to Mars in general. Yeah. <laughs> Is I have fond memories of watching John Carter. No, that Mars. movie was actually good. That I, movie was so good. The movie, it's, so the book, uh, this is completely off topic. Yeah. The book is called John Carter of Mars, but because Mars Needs Moms did so bad and sunk Robert Zemeckis' studio, they just called it John Carter because if it had the word Mars in it, uh, people wouldn't go to see yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's what Hollywood thought because Hollywood is retarded. But, yeah. you know, like, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, so. Yeah, that's what they did. They were like, no, no more Mars. No Mars in any movie. So they just call it John Carter. It's like, okay, cool. <laughs> okay. Greg, how about you? The only one I can think of off the top of my head was Teen Titans Go. So I'm going a little less on yeah. this one. Okay. It's like they took the original, beautifully done, what was it, like 2003 Teen Titans? Yeah, something yeah like that. And it was beautifully done, and then, like, Teen Titans Go! To me, it was just a cash grab, and all the characters were dumbed down. I hated the animation styles. It just it looked cheesy and stupid. I understand it was for kids, but it's like, yep, the original Teen Titans... You can't say that anymore. You cannot say it's just for kids, and I'll get into why later. Yeah, <laughs> and, and teen, the original Teen Titans was for kids, too. Right, so... Yeah, but like it was way better done. Yeah, exactly. So yeah. I'm so tell this, a good story. So this will also go into our discussion later when I talk about things like art, art direction, love of art, who's making it, and why they're making it. Gotcha. Um, so. It just created. You're right, though, because it just created a new standard of what sh- cartoons were for kids, and it's just a bunch of poorly drawn characters running around with, with like with like yeah. with like ADHD humor of like ah wasn't that a funny poop joke. 
joke, and then it's like, oh, like, uh, like, 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 being loud isn't funny. Like, screaming isn't funny. Like, there has to actually be a punchline and a joke. That's why SpongeBob isn't good anymore. First season of SpongeBob, SpongeBob was Steve Ellenberg was right now. Yeah. So good. Now SpongeBob is who can scream the loudest. Patrick or, or SpongeBob. Yeah. Like the thing is, like, exactly. for me, like that South doesn't work with Teen Titans Go or even like, fucking Thundercats or anything like that. I enjoyed Unikitty because I knew for a fact that this was the kind of humor it was. It was going to just be some stupid-ass thing. Turn my brain off, and I enjoyed it. I just couldn't turn my brain off while watching Teen Titans Go because, like... I will give something to Teen Titans Go, though. Uh, if you haven't seen Teen Titans Go to the movies... The, that's the, a the, good movie. That, that, is, that is a very funny... Good, I, actually, I actually own it on Blu-ray because it was so good. The, the TV show, not so much. Teen Titans Go to the movies... I now what fantastic film. Even a Stan Lee cameo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and like the but the, Stan Lee, this is a DC movie. <gasps> a DC movie. Oh no! <laughs> and like the the whole like Batman super thing too. He's like my mommy's name is Martha too. <laughs> like I made fun of it like immediately after it was. I was like that's brilliant. Like that's really funny. Yeah. Like oh yeah, it was. It, that's a good film. So, but I agree with you, Greg. That is that is a that is a pretty bad. It's a good pick. Yeah, that just irks me a little bit, you know. <laughs> but however, we also have to realize that what Teen Titans was will never happen again because of the way that the industry went, and now because now everything has to be cheap, yep. recognizable, and uh, and and loud. Unfortunately, and like I said, I'll talk about when we talk about Disney stuff and and how art. I, I keep saying that, but because uh, I, I want to talk about Thundercats so bad, but I'm, <laughs> but I'm holding back. Uh, but we'll, that, yeah, we'll talk about that a little bit. That, that will be re- it will be re- related. Sounds good. Yeah, yeah, that's all for me though. Okay, Clay, how about you? Uh, so I, admittedly, I don't really watch any anime, so I have to say that there was a genre of animation in the early 80s with the stuff that I grew up on, G.I. Joe, Transformers, mm. the Sunbow Studios, that stuff. There was also, at the same time, a lot of just really like a lot, the oversaturated market of Saturday morning cartoons they used to get up and watch mm-hmm. all of them, whether they yeah. were good or bad. Yep. And uh, <laughs> there was an ALF uh, animated series. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep. There was yeah. Pound Puppies. There was um, Bill and Ted had a cartoon. Yeah, there was uh, there was Dungeons and Dragons one. There was a Gummy Bear. Yep. Bear oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so when I was growing up, and uh, there was a, there was a couple that um, that really just they were just like you know what you were saying like a cash grab. There was a uh, that just weren't very good. There was like the Pac Man um, animated series, not very good. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, really. Uh, they're still making, they're still making Pac Man animations. And uh, and uh, the the Mr. T, they would always try to <laughs> they would always try to tie it into some celebrity I, or something. You see, I loved it when they made R rated cart movies into kids cartoons, like yeah. they oh, did the Randall cartoon, Robocop, oh, right, Robocop cartoon, yeah. Toxic Crusaders. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You have one of the most R rated superhero movies ever, and you made a great kids cartoon out of it. <laughs> so there's one that stands out, uh, and we had uh, one of the writers, Buzz Dixon, who used to write for G.I. Joe, 
um, on the TV show, the G.I. Joe. But he, we were just talking to him about like some of the things that he was doing, you know, for work. It's mm-hmm. like this is his job. It's like writing cartoons in the eighties, and was already working on this and that. And you pick up different things along the way. They had one called Turbo Team, which is a kid that turns into a car, and it's like, <laughs> literally the dumbest thing ever. And uh, I looked it up after we talked to him, and it's like really like I would have definitely. I think I would have. I wouldn't be turning the t- channel. I'd probably turn the TV off and went outside because that's what we did that. But yeah, I, I, was, I was really, I woke up on Saturday mornings and I ate cereal. And I even before school, I would eat cereal and watch like Heathcliff and, and stuff like that. Like mm-hmm. before school, it was like such a point. And I would come home and watch Transformers and G.I. Joe from three to four. You know, like it was like. TV was so different back then, and Saturday morning cartoons were a thing. A lot of them failed and were terrible. Um, just That's to, awesome. Just to, yes. just to pull off of that for a little bit, Andrew, do you remember that when we were like three and we didn't have like a concept of time or anything like that, but we always wanted to wake up to watch Super Mario Super Show? Yes. yes. And like for like a half hour, we'd get up early, and for a half hour, we'd turn it on to Fox before turning into Fox Box or whatever it was, and um, and we would watch the stock market numbers scroll by uh, on the screen because that was what was on the channel. The yeah, they would just go, and yeah, we would sit there and wait. Watch the stocks. Just like waiting for... <laughs> to turn to Super Mario. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Must have gone you see, like five thirty. Yeah. You see, I had to sit through Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> Not the stars. <laughs> Kenneth Copeland. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. It was also the same torture that, like, when when like you would watch or we would want to watch a cartoon cartoon like Ed and Nettie and stuff like that, but they would still be playing Scooby Doo beforehand. Yeah. You know, and like. Scooby Doo's great. Like now, I very much appreciate it. But as a kid, you yeah. want the cartoon you cartoons. Want, you don't you want, want Scooby Doo. Yeah. You don't want yeah. some old funny duddy. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Although, granted, when Cartoon Network started out and like they had shows like Johnny Quest and like The Centurions. Do you remember The Centurions? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that show was amazing. I love that show. Yeah. Anyways, my worst anime ever is on the same route as Andrew, where it was just like offensive and. Uh, for anybody who knows me or has listened to our podcast, uh, you'll know that my favorite show of all time, and I want to bring it back to anime because that I would be doing a disservice to our listeners if I didn't talk about anime. My favorite show of all time is Fooly Cooly. And this is the catnesses of how No Borders already started. Right, with the pillows and, uh, you know, everything like that. And then they... I gotta say, they fucked it up wow. so bad. You like, saved that F word for the 300th episode of No Borders. Yeah, PG-13. Yeah, I... Oh, God. Like, Fooligally Progressive in particular was just the biggest offense to an- animation. And why did they even make it? Why did they like, even why make it? Why did they even make it? Yep, and, like... I, I just I like I'm I'm mad about that show. I like they they were cash grabbing something because they they did a nostalgia bait. Like they they legitimately drew us in with saying, "Hey, there's more fully coolie and hey, like we have all these characters that might be coming back and everything like that and and they like really like man, did they I, I don't even know how to describe it. It's so bad. I would say um, I was disappointed with Progressive. I so I enjoyed Alternative because I feel like Alternative was basically what Fully Cooly could have could become, which is just so different stories, 
where Haruko isn't much of the main character, but maybe the catharsis for everything that happened. So happens. Alternative had characters in it. And that's an important <laughs> thing for TV shows, right? Is yeah. you need characters. Uh, Progressive didn't have that. Progressive had ideas and they had a shell. And then they took the shell and they were supposed to put the ideas into the shell and make a show. But what they did was they closed the shell first and then they threw it at the shell and it just bounced off. And it, like they had like this character who was supposed to look like Commander Amaro, and then they had like this this base in this in this like world that was falling apart, and like Lord, they didn't even bring up like Atomus or Lord Conti or anything like that, which we thought they were gonna was gonna be the big drop at the end, where it's like, oh my gosh, like Nauta came back as like a superhero with Atomus and everything, and they didn't do any they didn't of touch that. it. They didn't, they didn't anything. touch anything, and you know what? They still aren't going to touch it, and it was just a complete and total waste of time and money that they could have put into better shows like My Sister, My Writer, so that the animation budget could have been better. And we get more incest animes. (laughs) (laughs) I take it you're not going to watch Shoegaze or what's the other one that they're making right now? Are you talking about the next Fully Coolies? Yeah. I'm going to watch it. You better believe I'm going to watch it so I can talk just like this again on the next time that we talk about Fully Cooly. Um, the, the redeeming uh, quality of it is I actually still listen to the Pillows songs that were in Fully Cooly Progressive and Alternative. Yeah. So, like, sure, it opens up some, some new good music. But, I mean, even though the Pillows, it's basically their rock opera, like, I mean, it's it just uh, it didn't work. It was not good. Right. So, and I and I agree with you on that with progressive. Like alternative I enjoyed, progressive was just alternative one big had a mess. little bit of meat on the bone. I didn't like alternative, but alternative had a little bit of meat on the bone with characters and people you could interact with and all that. Yeah, you know. Okay. So, those are the worst animated things that we've ever have ever had to go through. <laughs> So, going back to like the concept of albums that you would listen to from front to back, this this next song I'm going to play is from an album that I still listen to front to back at least once a month. And it's from an album called The Best Little Secrets Are Kept by a band called Louis XIV. I would discover them through WFNX, and one of their songs would be featured in, in my opinion, the greatest baseball game ever, ever created, MVP Baseball 2005. <laughs> They went on hiatus back in 2009, but they have recently reunited and are due to have a new album very soon. And the song we're going to be playing from The Best Little Secrets Are Kept was a song that I was told I could not play on WMW on Salem because it was too suggestive. There were air quotes there, people. Yeah. Air quotes are not good for radio. Yeah. This is Pledge of Allegiance. Ah, oh, little Stacy Q when she doesn't have a thing to do. She comes to my house when let's keep that between me and you. For clothes, she likes to tell this boy what to do. Let's keep that between me and you, okay? She said, Oh, come on, boy, aren't you tired of talking about sex? I said, Little girl, what do you really expect? And then she pledges her allegiance to the United States of me. Oh, she says, You're such a little bitch. She says, Head case, head case, turn that thing around. Let's play a game when you hear me make a sound. Just go quite a bit faster, pretend I'm gagged and bound. Oh, how I love to hear that sound. We don't have to go to the pool if you want me to make you wet Can you keep a secret? Cause the best little secrets are kept You're my best little secret yet 
actually tell this boy what to do Let's keep that between me and you, okay? She said, oh, come on, boy, aren't you tired of talking about sex? I said, little girl, what do you really expect? And then she pledges her allegiance to the United States of me Oh, she says, you're such a little bitch She says, head case, head case, turn that thing around Let's play a game when you hear me make a sound Just go quite a bit faster, pretend I'm gagged and bound Oh, how I love to hear that sound Milkshake, milkshake, I love to feel your sweat We don't have to go to the pool if you want me to make you wet Can you keep a secret? Cause the best little secrets are kept And you're my best little secret yet Well, kick, cat, kick, cat, kicking you the kicks She said, let me feel your love on me and come on, make a stick I'm to have the best of your little baby chicks So, you're my sweet tooth sugar fix Tick-tock, tick-tock, oh baby, forget the clock You don't have to do a thing anymore, I like your baby tick Just make sure that clothes the shelves are turned on walls or shilling around at scarlet rhapsody we are an independent web zone covering conventions across the country scarlet rhapsody breaks it down for you the guests the dealers the culture the cosplay the trending fandoms and what makes a convention worth the price of admission are you convention cultured you will be visit us on the web at scarlet-rhapsody.com facebook at scarlet rhapsody media twitter at cons and churros YouTube at Scarlet Rhapsody Convention Cultured. And remember, the con is what you make of it, so make it a good one. See you at the con. I'm Bob Lightyear, yeah! My God, it's only blocks of us. Every day, every night, I like Ramon. And a Bob, and a Joe, and a Jimmy, and a Stevie. Wishbone, wishbone, touch more. Let's talk about your rock and roll. Every day, every night, it's time So we don't need a big fat wall. Robot can rescue the world. Robot can rescue the world. Robot can rescue the Nirvana Much more the presence of USA I pray faster than Eddie by heaven
that have been coming out and like the original stuff that and it's really across like all streaming platforms where they're trying to pump out this original content so that it keeps people in mind and you know you have weekly episodes for things that are on a streaming platform where they almost have like the commercial breaks in them so that it feels like you're watching TV but it's a thing of an era that's bygone you know um, but my my problem lies probably within Disney Plus because I think that it's the one that I have the most issues with I mean I know that, you know, Netflix has been hemorrhaging money for, like, over a decade now, and they're going bankrupt. And then... They've been uh, bankrupt for a long time, and they still haven't left. It's weird. Yeah, and then, like, things like Peacock and Paramount Plus, they got stuff, you know? Like, it's fine. We got them. Hulu's doing pretty good. But then there's Disney Plus, you know? And and Disney Plus, I have, like, this this special kind of... I don't want to say hatred for, but it might be a little bit of hatred. I don't know. Because Disney as a corporation used to be fun. You know, it used to be, it used to be a good time and it's not that anymore. I don't think so. I don't, I don't really. And, and especially like with their new original properties that they're coming out with, with the way that, you know, like the new CEO of Disney isn't even like an Imagineer. We used to have Imagineers who, who were CEOs and ran after the Disney family left Disney. Um, but now we have a businessman. And, like, that's the reason why we have things like the Genie Plus line and why you have to pay for fast passes in the park now. It's because these ideas are coming from a guy who only knows how to make money. And so um, that comes with 
things like just pumping out these crappy original shows that you know we have. That you know, it's like oh, people will watch it. They'll, they'll you know, they want to see Obi Wan, you know, and like you know, throw that, throw that in there, and you know, that's when we just get like really crappy content. But anyways, um, what I kind of want to talk about is like we, I, I, I kind of want to open it up to everybody what they think about streaming platforms, Disney Plus more in particular, and where you stand with them, and then also like let's talk about Disney Plus specifically, as in like. Let's talk about specific properties in there and what we all think of, of these things. Because I, I definitely have some opinions about properties in general with Disney+. Plus. Uh, let, me, let me just address first like what I've been trying to get to the whole time, which is artistry and, and where it's gone and where it's going and what, it, what the art industry is as a business here in the West. Um, so here, here in the West, we have this really strange monopoly over everything that's art. And if you're not owned by a corporation, then it's really difficult to output original art. And this, is, this has very much been, been proven by just the, the downfall of the animation industry in the West by itself, how everything has become cheap. Uh, like we talked about, we talked about how... Um, Teen Titans, Teen go. Titans go, and we mentioned Thundercats, Thundercats Roar, Roar, and uh, and and the the start of all that, of course, was was really when Steven Universe came around, and they were like, oh, well, we can really make this stuff for cheap, and it doesn't have to look good, and people will really like it, and um, and we could hire all of our animators from Tumblr. Yeah, and well, and and that was the big thing is you know we had uh, Pendleton Ward uh, who who hired any, anybody that he knew after he made Adventure Time and all of his friends were, were off of Tumblr. So then we got Rebecca Sugar and Rebecca Sugar was from Tumblr and then she hired everybody that she knew and they're all from Tumblr and, and there's no brand new ideas anymore because they won't let anybody else in. Uh, and, and after things like the original Teen Titans and after things like uh, Thundercats 2011, which was a brilliant remake... The companies canceled those because they said, nope, even though these have millions of, of original watches, people watch it every Saturday, people watch it, it's still too expensive to make, and we will, we will not keep these going. And, and the problem was is, is the people behind Thundercats 2011 really loved Thundercats. Like they, There's a podcast out there. If you can find it, you can, you can still search it up. It came out in January of 2019. Of uh, Dan Norton, who, who is the art director of Thundercats 2011, and he—it's a three-hour podcast of him just telling you what Thundercats 2011 season two was going to be and how they were going to finish the show in just two seasons. Um, and and he it, it had um, callbacks to the original saga, but not like but not fan service. It was callbacks, not fan service. Told you how like everything that he told you was like oh we were we would sit in the in the ideal room and we would just come up with these ideas, but the but the big people upstairs the producers were like no we just don't see the output uh, turning out to be something good, so they chose money over the love of art that these people loved this project mm. and even though it was making money it wasn't making enough money, and that's what. That's what Disney has turned into with their Star Wars properties. It's all just fan fiction 
of they like, oh, well, I mean, George Lucas laughed his way to the bank. He's like, oh, you want to give me a billion dollars for Star Wars? Well, I'll put that in my back pocket and then like you can just have my crappy show that nobody wants to watch anymore, which they have proven that nobody really cares about Star Wars that much anymore after the original saga was done because because George Lucas just knew it was wasn't going anywhere after that. And uh, but but they know that people will go see it regardless because it's Star Wars, and so so Disney makes a million dollars while they make this crappy piece of media that is really just fan fiction on the screen, and and they get to just keep making fan fiction about the things that we really love and and all these member berries basically like <laughs> like who who watches. Lion King 2019 and it's just like hey do you want to watch Lion King they're not talking about 2019 they're talking about their original superior 2D animated version that was made by a bunch of people that but Disney Plus will recommend the live action version to you before the original property yeah and not to mention that that whole thing is a rip off of Kimba the White Lion but we can no that's that's false oh really oh yeah that, that is totally false like so so the whole Kimba the White Lion copy copying uh, Thunder uh, <laughs> Lion King <laughs> copying Lion King that's that's a lie. None of that stuff is true. If you actually watch in-depth reviews, uh, your movie sucks. Actually, has a two-hour discussion um, online about Kimba, the history of Kimba the White Lion and the history of Lion King, which debunks the whole process of, of that false story that was created by one random lady who wrote a book and and took things out of context from Kimba to say, "Hey, Disney stole this." That was back when Disney had integrity. Now Disney doesn't have integrity anymore. <laughs> now Disney is, is is taking all of the pro- eating up all the properties that we love. Like they like they own Fox, they own they own uh, Lucas, they own they're they're basically making a monopoly of all of the properties that we like. And now Disney is making the properties that we like, and the, the original creators aren't anymore. End of rant. I think I don't know. Maybe I'll have more later. But but this is th- these are just the things that I know and have observed uh, with my own time of studying the industry and knowing the industry and knowing how producers work in the back scenes and watching interviews with people who love shows and you know worked on shows personally and, and had them canceled underneath their feet regardless of whether people like them or not. Mm-hmm. For me, I, I would say when it comes to Disney Plus itself, I am um, and the original content. It's kind of like one of those things where I'll, I'll watch it, but I'll know whether or not I'll watch it enough for me to pay attention to it or watch it as background noise while I'm doing right. work and not even paying attention. Correct. Now, let me give you an example. Like a lot of like the Marvel TV shows that have come out with it. I paid very close attention to uh, WandaVision and Loki. Because I felt both shows were telling some really interesting stories with some amazing cinematography. Loki especially, because it gave me some really big Terry Gilliam vibes. Like a Time Bandits um, kind of show. Loki was actually good. Loki was fantastic. Like, I, like, I didn't blink once while watching that show because I liked what they were doing with the characters, the universe. And even showcasing how to properly start this whole multiverse aspect of it. This whole... Trunks thing in, in Dragon Ball, like because Trunks goes back in time and changes things, you get all these alternate universes. Loki basically did the same thing, but it did it in a way that it sounded scientific when you know for a fact it's all bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> but then when you when I when I'm watching like Falcon and the Winter Soldier and. Unfortunately, Miss Marvel. I even just we talked about Miss Marvel in a previous episode. Like, 
I'm watching it, but I'm not as engaged as I am with with like Loki and WandaVision. I'm not paying attention as much. I'm looking more at my phone than seeing what Kamala Khan is doing on, on the screen, which disappoints me because I love the Miss Marvel comics. It was the show I was looking forward to the most. And I feel like that they really screwed the pooch when it came to adapting well, it for a live action. So Disney Plus's numbers actually came out and so they always keep track of the opening weekend numbers of their TV shows. Mm-hmm. And every Marvel property that drops the opening uh, weekend has consistently been the lowest opening weekend since uh, they started Disney Plus. So when we were at the top of WandaVision, they had millions of views. Uh, they had like 1.5 million views for Loki. Winter Soldier was a million. And then like it's gone all the way down to Miss Marvel. Half a million people watched it. Tons of people. Right. Yeah, yeah. Like, um, but And then you also have to think about the fiasco behind Boba Fett. And the Mandalorian. Yeah. So, so you have you have the Mandalorian because the, so they they basically wrote the Mandalorian because it was supposed to be a Boba Fett show, and then um, then they but they didn't have the license to Boba Fett, so they're just like, okay, well we'll make our own show, which is cool because you know Star Wars is a big universe. Why shouldn't there be a show about a cool bounty hunter that does that thing? And then it turned into a product placement for Baby Yoda, um, and then <laughs> um, and then so and then so they made. Uh, then they made Mandalorian season one and season two, and then they got the license to Boba Fett, and they're like, "Well, now we can make the license of Boba Fett." And so they made the book of Boba Fett, which was a disaster, and and people hated it. So they basically turned the second half of the of a book of Boba Fett into the Mandalorian because they brought him back, the character that was supposed to be Boba Fett, and now it's just the Mandalorian. And so the so book of Boba Fett was a disaster, so they turned it into the Mandalorian. Then they're going to make another Mandalorian series after that, but you have to watch book. You have to suffer through Book of Boba Fett before you can watch them that series because they're all tied together. There was a great meme coming out saying that I heard the special guest this week on Book of Boba Fett is Boba Fett. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but nobody wants to watch fat old grandpa Boba Fett try to do choreography when fighting all these aliens. And not to, and not to mention, it's the Judge Dread. Uh, it's the it's the Judge Dread aspect of it. Why does Boba Fett have have his helmet off? We do not care about the actor underneath the helmet. The reason why Boba Fett is so cool is because he's faceless and you don't see him. It's just like, no, this is the real guy. This is the guy who played Boba Fett. Remember when he was a terrible idea when he was a clone? That was like, okay. And then, um, and so they, they ran with that terrible idea and made it canon. And then the, the, he has his helmet on the whole time. It's like, okay, well, that's not the Boba Fett I was really hoping for. The Mandalorian is the Boba Fett I was hoping for. So this has uh, turned into a wicked anime Tapagachi like yeah. give, me, yeah. give me vibes from from days past. Yeah. But again, it's 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 talking about like fan fiction and 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 the artist, the losing of the art and and the love of the art. Like you know, John Favreau started with the Mandalorian. The first season was phenomenal. Yeah. I loved the first season of the Mandalorian. It was great. I loved it. And then um, and then you can really tell that. Disney took a hold of it afterwards and be like, oh, we have something here. It's really good. And then they <laughs> Disney'd all over it. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but, uh, and then, and then of course that leads into like the Kenobi's up. First, I want to hear what Clay and Greg have to say though, because you guys have been just sitting and listening <laughs> to us rant. No, uh, so, I mean, in regards to, I definitely want to touch on the Star Wars stuff. Um, in regards to the streaming services, because that was one of your questions, right? It was like, yeah, sure. What do you think? Streaming yeah. services. 
Um, I think in the beginning when like it was just kind of like Netflix was the big player and like maybe the only mm. player. Yes, yeah. It was definitely a unique idea and I loved it because I thought it was actually going to be an answer to like oh you can actually pick what you want to watch instead of just having to like flip through all these channels and pay for all this ridiculous crap you don't want. Or take a drive to the video store and rent something. Mm. I miss that. Yeah. Anyway. I, well, I think we miss it now because now we know what we have. No, it was always like, special. Like we, we used to do that with our dad. Like every weekend, it was it was so fun to go out and like make a movie. There's so many movies. What do we want to watch this weekend? You know? I guess we'll have to watch Python Source Four. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I guess for me, with the video store though, driving out. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, was, it was fun for video games though. It was because yeah, yeah, okay, you found yeah. hidden gems. Yeah, doing they that. did do video games, Sega Genesis games. Uh, but I feel like that kind of got, for me, at first, like, when streaming was starting, like, video stores kind of just, like, it was kind of annoying to have to go out and come back. So, like, I get why streaming took off. Um, so I thought, anyway, streaming was going to be, like, the huge, you know, end to it all if it was just, like, maybe a few platforms that had most of what everyone wants to watch. Uh, but now that it's, you know, 20 or 10 to 15 years in the future and we have all these platforms, it's like, this is just cable all over again in a different form because now you got to pay for all mm-hmm. the streaming platforms yep. and it's like oh it adds up to be like what the cable bill was yeah right <laughs> actually it adds like, up to be more because everyone's now jacking up their prices and it's like the content is less and less worth um the value of your, your money to especially because like oh the show i want to watch is on this streaming platform but i only have access to this streaming platform right. <laughs> it's so annoying and then you're going to ask your friends and like john is a perfect example because a couple weeks ago i asked like hey can i just like get into your paramount plus because i wanted to like watch a couple of things and you're like well you want to split the cost right and i was like understandably no <laughs> <laughs> It's funny though. You touched on a, on a weird aspect of it of uh, what is driving the laziness of, of people now is people won't even go out to the movie store to pick up a movie. It's just like, well, I, I want to just sit on my couch all weekend and just watch things as at will. And it's just like, no, go out and do something. Like go go do that. That's a pandemic for two years. Yeah, that's a yes. completely different aspect. But I just wanted to touch on that because I thought it was funny. Like, like this started way before the pandemic movie. even was. Yeah, like I don't want to go out and get a like, it's like, <laughs> but I think there might be, hopefully, a shift in change to that. That people might want to go back out and do stuff. At least that's for me, because like I have a job where I sit at a desk and I work forty hours a week, and now it's like I can't even like I don't get the same like thrill for like sitting down and just like watching a TV show or like playing video games. I'm like I need to go out and do something. So maybe that is shifting. But I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, going off topic there. No, he's like he's good. Uh, yeah. Well, for like. When you're talking about like the Beatles, it's like, what if, if I, everything's in front of me? Like, what do I want to watch? Disney Plus is not the place I go to, but my yeah. podcast co-host, it is. That's where he goes. I go to HBO. Yeah, and yeah, I, HBO I, I, I can always find something in there, and I always scroll through there and I see some weird Criterion movie or yeah, right. or something in there. And that's not that I don't like. Marvel and the Avengers, like I own all of the Marvel movies with the exception of I, the one I haven't bought yet is Doctor Strange. But I even uh, I feel like the movies, the last few movies, Eternals. I really like Shang Chi, but I know a lot of people didn't. But the Black Widow thing is very weak, weak, weak. Um, I, I I think that the Mandalorian is a great show. I like I did I disagree with you. I thought the Boba Fett show was good. Um, 
But um, but like Ms. Marvel, I watched the first episode. And I was like, I think I can watch this. I think I can watch. I think I. And I have the same feeling too. Like, like I, I, I think okay, I, this is cool. I, it's kind of reminding me of Mitchell's versus the Machines. I'm gonna watch it. I'm gonna watch all of it. I know I, I'll like. I won't love it, but I'll be like, <laughs> this is a cool enough story that I can keep me along there. But um, but they deviated far too much from the original comic. To, to I, make I've it only literally movie. watched the first episode, so I don't know. But I'm like gonna give it a shot. Um, and uh, and I just think they do like do a lot of the fan service stuff, like especially with Star Wars, like you know, like last year. All that stuff is there. Mm-hmm. It's all accessible. It's it. I can watch it, and I do find stuff on Disney Plus that I really love, like that Jeff Goldblum show. Yeah. Um, and uh, and like there's wow animals. The the, <laughs> the, the, um, the this is a weird thing that I really love is the. Uh, Doug's Life, which is the dog from Up, has his own series, and there's like seven episodes <laughs> of him, and it's like that's a that's a, probably the best part of Up is Squirrel, you know, and he has his own show, and like that's cool, and there's you know they own a lot of properties, so you're like, oh, that's where that is now, okay, but yeah, I don't go rushing to to Disney Plus to see it, but I do. Like Star Trek and like Star Wars is a weekly episode, and Ms. Marvel. Like I'm gonna give it a shot, but I didn't get my my girlfriend doesn't really want to watch Ms. Marvel. Mm, that's like yeah. the first time a Disney Plus show is coming out, and then we're not watching it together. So it's kind of a paradigm shift there. It's kind of like yeah, we've been watching all these things, but like nobody knows or cares about Ms. Marvel anyway. So why would I want to watch it? This, Speaking the voice of my girlfriend now, I'm like, yeah, I totally get it, but I'll watch it. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, Disney like has, you know, I, I, like it is. It's a big monopoly, and there's not a lot of they're they're churning out a lot of crap. But I I do find stuff in there that I can want to watch. And I I guess if I were a person that didn't own all of the Marvel movies, that's where I would go to watch them. And I've watched them all multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah, that's all I really have to say about it. It's it's not where I go, but I'm, when I'm in there, I, I'm not bummed out. I, and I you know I'm I'm happy that they give me you know like the like I like the Star Wars that's set in the time of. Um, you know, Rogue One, or the, or going back into time, kind of like where, with the Mandalorian, and where all these Star Wars shows have been set. I'm actually like that's, I, I like that. I like that they're giving me more of the old Star Wars, even if it is like whatever fan fiction or whatever. Uh, I do like enjoy all that stuff in there, and I didn't think that Obi Wan was great, but I didn't, I didn't hate it. I didn't go off on any rants like, "Wow, well, what a waste of time" or whatever, you know. So that it's just not where I go. I don't go to Disney Plus when I want to watch something on TV. And uh, I just want to preface by saying that's all good and fine. I'm I'm glad you enjoyed it. It's fine that you like it, but <laughs> I'm gonna say some really mean things. So. <laughs> technically made for kids. <laughs> the okay. part. So, though, I mean, you know, I, I don't want to yuck on anyone else's young, and I don't, I don't people right. tell me that my Star opinions Wars. are wrong all day. That's fine. Star- I like the disagreement. Yeah, yeah. Star Wars is like the Wu-Tang. It's for the children. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, Greg, <laughs> Greg has been uh, waiting all day, literally all day for me to answer the question for him, because he was saying that, uh, you know, oh, it's for kids, right? Like, we hear that all the time, and it's like, something's not as good, I don't like it, it's not for kids. 
Disney Plus actually has the answer to that problem for me, which is the only bright spot, I think, that is amongst the whole medium. And if you haven't seen it, it's not a Disney property, but Disney does own the license to stream it. you got to watch, go to the Disney Junior section and watch Bluey. Yeah. Bluey is an Australian, it's about, uh, it's, it's an Australian show um, published by BBC, and it's about, like, the six-year-old healer dog and her family and, um, and how they... So cute. And it's so funny. It's it intelligent. Funny, yeah. It is well written. All the characters develop. And it's meant for four-year-olds. And but, it is... We, Christine and I, we do not have kids. We don't have a plan for kids just yet. But we watch it at least once a week. Yeah, and, and that's just, just it. It's like there's the characters. There's Bingo and Bluey, which are the children, and therefore the kids. And then there's Bandit and Mocha. Uh, uh, Chili. Bandit and Chili, who are the mom and dad, who are characters for the parents. Yep. Like, the humor between the two different sets of characters are for that audience. Mm. It's utterly brilliant that yeah. you can make a child, a, like a pre-education child show works so well and you for everybody you're gonna be it's you're gonna be hard to hard pressed to find any, anybody out there who's just like oh yeah i don't i hate bluey it's it's I'll just like it, you yeah. should like honestly it's, and and i think the thing that i like about it the most is it's like oh it's technically not a disney product either it disney just distributes <laughs> they it have, they own it they yeah. just distribute it's, it's it all the, all, i mean they're the, the simpsons isn't yeah crazy. exactly yeah and Simpsons was well around, not before Disney, but you know, but, but like way before Disney even like yeah. thought about Disney owning Plus, but yeah. they own it. They own it now. Yeah, they own a lot of things. But I think that's the problem with. I think it's actually a, a real American perspective to say, "Oh, it's for kids, so it's supposed to be bad." But it can't be that. No. We can make great shows that are meant for kids that everybody can love. The eighties was a byproduct of that era of great kids shows. Written with mature tones to it. Yep. GI Joe is a very mature show. Yet it was geared towards kids. So you did, didn't make you feel dumb when yeah, you're watching me. Exactly. You're like, I understand this because I, I'm, I'm a kid, but I think that I'm an adult. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was there was a really strange era in the early 2000s where early childhood programming. Was was nightmare fuel for parents mm-hmm. like like the Dora, Teletubbies, Teletubbies, Dora the Explorer, <laughs> Barney like, and Friends, Barney, like like these like low IQ children shows that that it d- couldn't be for adults. But then nowadays you watch things like Bubble Guppies and like all uh, Paw Patrol's not bad. Paw Patrol's pretty good. Like it, like because we have because we, we have a little brother, right? So we when he was young, we got to grow up watching all these when he was growing up too. So yeah. we were watching the kids yeah. shows, and I was like, wow, these are actually like I'm not. Annoyed by watching these, these are actually intelligent shows to watch. But even like, we could even throw My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, like that yeah, is right. enjoyable. It, it is a great show, show. Yeah. great show, a yeah. show made for little girls that that, 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 that one, yeah. uh, and um, and yeah, I think that, that that's a good example. Of there was a show that that it took a product from the 80s that was horrible, yeah, right. It, it was better. a reboot, yeah. and it. It's a. It really is a like with Discord and everything. Like that show is great, and, and I, I can see the appeal to kids. I can see the appeal to bronies. I can see the appeal to just a regular person that's Anim- not a brony. I mean, that as, an, as an as animator, a, I was I was just like they did that in Flash. And I was yeah. Like, yeah. What you know? Like it was phenomenal. It looks good too. Like the characters and stuff. Like they're just drawn cool. Like yeah. updated versions of what. They, yeah. You know. Yeah. I, I will say that out. if Weird Al ever shows up in a kid show, that's a seal of approval that tells you that. It's a good yeah. kitchen. That's, that's pretty funny, yeah. 
Um, but yeah, so anyways, so there's there are some Disney Plus properties out there that I'm happy to talk about. So if anybody wants to throw out like, hey, what's your thoughts on this one X, well, Y, and Z? So Evan Evan mentioned uh, Chippendale Rescue Rangers. He did. Well, that was earlier. Yeah. 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 And so and I knew I was stepping into a landmine field <laughs> yeah. I, when I when you were talking about who framed Roger Rabbit. I was like, you know, they kind of did that with the Chippendale movie. Talk about offensive. Like when it, like the the company that made who framed Roger Rabbit in the 70s or in the 80s, 80s. in the 80s and Chippendale the it doesn't even look half as good like the characters are floating across the screen they're using like and the one actually character who they 2D animated looks awful yeah. like which was Cheetah when when they were at Cheetah and um, like she was at conventions and she's like missing frames and she's frozen for for some of them. And I haven't seen this yet. Yeah, it's um, like some people really like it, but like to I me, enjoy it. It I was it was like it was offensive. Like and not only that, but the script was just trash. Like like the jokes weren't funny. Like the jokes were dumb. Like they, like and not dumb. Like oh, that's that's dumb humor. That's funny. Like they were low IQ dumb humor jokes <laughs> that like didn't. Like they they explain the joke to you after they said the yeah. joke, and it and I hate it when they explain the jokes to me because then it's just like a good example of it in in there is, um, so they're they're doing like a crime thing right and they're trying to solve a mystery and there's a part in the movie where they travel to the uncanny valley right yeah and so you have characters walking around though that are supposed to illustrate what the uncanny valley is supposed to be yeah however the general public know what that means I feel like yeah yeah okay so great that's a good question so the uncanny valley is that point in where you animate something or you create something that moves like a human but doesn't act like a human or, or is it something isn't quite it's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's like, like, yeah, it's, like it's, it's so off. it's so close to being a human but it's not human that your fight or flight kicks in yeah, yeah. and it doesn't know which one to do fight or so your brain just kind of goes ah. So, anyways, in the movie, they go to the uncanny valley, and there's a, good like, concept, good joke. Yeah, right. However, all of the other characters in the movie are already uncanny valley to the point where the joke falls flat completely because all of the characters who live in the uncanny valley are just as poorly animated as everybody else in the movie who's already well, previously been. And on top of that. They explained the joke to you by being like, do you remember – this is like an actual line from the movie where they say, do you remember that era of the 2000s where everything looked like it was like real but it wasn't real? This is this is where it is. Like this is where they, they all had went to, to live. that in there. Yeah, and it's just like, oh. And then, like, and then they knock on a door and this this Viking like from Beowulf yeah, like from comes Bill in Robert and played by, played by Seth Rogen and, and Dale goes like – he has those Polar Express eyes, and it makes you go, like, stop explaining. And that's what the whole movie is. Yeah, and that's what the whole movie is, is, like, explaining the joke to the audience, because it's just like, why Why do you not understand that we don't get... And whoever that cop girl was that they got as, like, the psychic, she was a terrible actress. She was awful. She was so bad. I couldn't believe... Like, she couldn't read lines for anything. Anyway... Kenobi. Kenobi. <laughs> you want to talk about Kenobi. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that... Um, we that can't talk about this for too long. It's going to go on forever. <laughs> <laughs> you have another three hours to spare. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we, like, when Kenobi came out, like, in concept, it would, like, people loved Obi-Wan Kenobi and, like, you know, he was great and I was waiting for Alex Guinness to come and make his cameo and he didn't. That disappointed me greatly. Uh, as a joke. Um, <laughs> he's dead. Um, <laughs> So, uh, Dead hasn't stopped, like, 
That's true. Death, death has <laughs> never stopped stop stop anyway. anyway. You would John Lennon like augmenting him next to Paul McCartney <laughs> during like a concert. Yeah. So um, uh, the thing, the problem with creating shows like Rogue One, like Solo, like Obi Wan. Because we already know what happens at the end. There's no tension. It's the prequel syndrome. Yeah, there's there's nothing there to grab onto because I like I every time that so, something was happening in Obi Wan, I went next to my wife and I go, "Is Princess Leia gonna die?" Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not, right? Yeah. So so like and, and and so it breaks all that and like there are so many points. In, in that show where Darth Vader could have just straight up murdered Obi-Wan but he can't because it's prequel syndrome so like well, the, the question is as well is why why did Darth Vader meet with Obi-Wan to begin with when he when, when you watch episode 4 he hasn't seen Obi-Wan since the day that he became Darth like he was left on that planet and became Darth Vader and said this is the first time I've seen you in all these years no Obi-Wan has ruined that continuity because he get they get to see each other and all this is Princess Leia. I mean, the, the, I mean, they, they kind of dance around it a little bit. It's like how he didn't, she didn't remember going off on this adventure with this Obi Wan guy. Yeah, right. <laughs> didn't explain that to anybody while they're sitting in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing I'd like to say to your point, although that point I can't explain, <laughs> is well, it is true. Like all these years later, I mean, she was a child. Oh no, I think she was like ten in the show, but then I think she's like a nineteen or twenty year old in episode four. I mean that's still like a ten year gap, so it's technically still all these. I'm years. talking about I'm talking about Obi Wan and Darth Vader. Yeah. I mean they you didn't still meet. say ten years is like all these years. No, that's they didn't no, but I haven't seen you since like, I think you have to break Yeah, but they cut that off. They say since Okay. So that that's they don't cut it off, no. Yeah, I think they had to break those those continuity things to just Make the show, but why did they have to make the show? <laughs> like that's my question is like, why did they make the show? Because as as much they had to make the sh- they <laughs> had to make the show because I think the people wanted to have those like fill in points. Like it was nice to see Rogue One and get the Death Star. No, that's wrong because the reason because Rogue One was one line of dialogue in a movie that they made an entire movie about. The reason why it was one line of dialogue was because we didn't need an entire movie. It was intriguing because it was just one line of dialogue. We were, oh. Oh, that explains it. Oh, okay, they stole the plans. So that's pretty cool. It's like, uh, why do we need a whole... Especially because... That's one, the best new because, Star Wars movie. <laughs> no, because... <Ouch>. They, <laughs> it's yeah, like, they plans, but people want to know how that came to be, though. And I thought, even though it wasn't maybe, like, the best Star Wars movie, I think it was, like, Star Wars is already about. a complete story. See, and it's not... Like, it had gaps in between three and four, and, you know, six and... Seven. All right, well, seven, eight, nine, I think, was completely unnecessary. Yeah. yeah. But, like... It, it's nice to fill in some of those gaps, and I think Obi Wan. Even though I'm not the biggest fan of the show, trust me, my God, there were things I hated about the show. But like, it at least provided something to fill that gap in between their meeting again. But the thing that made the character intriguing was because you were meeting him for the first time as an old man in the desert. Oh, he's me. I get to discover who Obi Wan is. Like, while well, the other characters are also discovering who Obi Wan is, now there's an entire show that explains it to you before you actually get to see all those things. But I mean, that's it's 
This is how you write stories, Greg. But I am a story writer myself. No, like you don't. You don't, you don't create things that explain the interesting parts of a story because because that's why they're interesting in the movie is because they're unexplained and you have to learn them as the, as the as the story goes then, on. Then blame George Lucas because he wrote four, five, six first instead of going one, two. Three, yes, four, and that's five. that's why it was so interesting because now you get to discover those things along the way as the characters are also explaining them. You know, like the reason why Darth Vader, the reason why you don't pity Darth Vader in four, five, and six, you fear him, is because one, two, and three didn't come out. Otherwise, he would have been this pity character, being like, "Oh, isn't that so sad?" Now he's like the Grand Moff, oh, like you know, it's like you know, he, like he's this. You want to like you want to learn about him, and you want to you wonder why people are so afraid of him. You know, and, and so you learn that throughout the movie, and then by the end of episode six, you find out, oh my gosh, he's, he chose his son over over the darkness of the Empire, which is the greatest thing ever. And then you watch one, two, and three, and he's just this whiny brat. And it's, mm-hmm. you, know, like, sand. you know, like yeah, sand. Hate sand. Yeah. It's, it's like if you if you were to have kids, right, and you have to start a kid off. Where do you? How do you? Four, four, five, six. Yeah, <laughs> I, I know that that's the answer, but ultimately. <laughs> Ultimately, if they're really into it, you know, like how how Four, do you five, do six, it? You stop. I, I'm going to tell them that there aren't any more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. George Lucas. George well, Lucas. That's, that's they're an originalist. But see, but see, that's what, that's what I like to say. It's like I'm the big, I'm the biggest Star Wars fan in the world. I I love Star Wars to death. Because four, five, and six exist, and then there's no more. (laughs) So I used to think the same as you with like Hayden Christensen, like man, it's just I hated Darth Vader, like Anakin Skywalker's character in one, two, three. But now that it's kind of sat with me and resonated all these years, and then you see seven, eight, nine, and what a. Although to be fair, when 10, 11, 12 come out, we're going to be looking at seven, eight, nine. Like, so I, I don't know about that because no. because you get to episode eight and you're just like, oh no, like because they because basically what happened was instead of opting for a good story. They they looked at what everybody was saying on the internet and was being like, oh well, we have to make sure all of them are wrong. Instead of instead of making a good story, they wanted to make everybody be wrong, and they just made a bad story instead. So, but going back to one, two, three, I think Darth Vader's character, although it sucks that he went from a fearful to kind of a pity character, he was played perfectly from one, two, and three because it shows. Right how he was betrayed and how he became dark and then he became evil and he's still a feared character. If Darth Vader's coming at me in a corridor with a lightsaber going bam, 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 like, I'm fucking running for the hills. I killed him so many times in Fortnite, it's not that hard. No. <laughs> which, is, which is why... To be fair, he was floss dancing when he was... <laughs> yeah. Which is, which is why 4, 5, you, you watch them 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3 is because you, you watch the scary Darth Vader and then you watch how he became the scary Darth Vader. I don't know. I still kind of, I like, I think it should still be watched one, two, three, four, five, six. But I then, mean. but no, absolutely not. Because then, because then the whole reveal of now it's becoming a Star Wars conversation, not a, not a streaming. <laughs> yes. Now, but, but then you lose it, but then you lose the, the utter awe, the shock and awe of discovering that Luke Skywalker is his father. Mm-hmm. Or, or the yeah, other way around that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, which is like the, no. Like I mean, nowadays everybody knows that, like right off the bat. But yeah. when you were, but back in the seventies, when people found that out, you're like, "Good God!" Yeah. Like what? And then the movie ends, and yeah. you have to wait three years for the next one to come out. That wasn't even originally in the script. They said it was like right on set. Then I think Lucas came up right in the moment. Was kind of like I have to look that up and see. Yeah, that like he, I think he told he told I think he was either the guy who played Darth Vader. He told either him or Mark Hamill. And no, no, like, he told the guy who played Darth Vader, never told yeah. Mark Hamill. And then Mark, yeah, Mark Hamill was like, 
What? This <laughs> guy's my father? <laughs> just uh, just uh, to go on prequel um, syndrome one more time, I just want to pull an example from Obi-Wan, and then we can move on from Star Wars stuff for now. But, um, but they try to get every single little nuance into the film and explained, which is a problem nowadays with like gathering content. For instance, um, the first time that we meet Darth Vader and Obi-Wan back together, first off, they totally botched Obi-Wan taking out his lightsaber for the first time in twelve in ten years and igniting it. Like there was no like slow motion grab from the hilt and then you know, like facing down Darth Vader. Like that would have been cool. But instead, he gets spooked by the dark and he goes bang! And, and that was it. It ended the whole sequence and it and it they it was so premature. Well, because remember what Obi-Wan well, taught is that is this is a tool and it's your last resort as a Jedi, and then episode two came out and there was like <laughs> like all the lightsabers come out was like first resort, but that's what they I, think, I think he, he might have been scared, and this is just a theory, is because he didn't know that Anakin survived Mustafar. He was in hiding, so when he found that out, like he thinks he's the first time seeing Lord Vader. My, my problem is cinematically they ruined it. Um, yeah. But in that sequence at the end, there they had to explain why Alex Guinness had a limp. And so in that fight, where where Darth Vader could easily just overpower him. No more Obi-Wan. Instead, he lights the field on fire and force pulls him through the fire so he gets a burn on his leg so that he has to whip around everywhere now. And like, what's going on? Why do you need to explain why an old man has a whip? He's old. He's old. He's old. Right? So like, what the hell? Like, come on, guys. Like, you- I hurt myself trying to fix the kitchen sink. Exactly. It's just like, it just Maybe never, it just that- never- work the same after that. Yeah. <laughs> Can we just end this whole thing on one funny thing I noticed about, like, I think when they were first meeting in that dark alleyway or yeah, whatever? Yes, unless it's wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. Good. Is when Vader was ignited his lightsaber, and I think Obi-Wan didn't ignite his yet. He just kind of stood there and looked at Vader, and then he ran off screen right, I think, and I just thought, huh, he's running to the high ground. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're running out of time, so I think yeah. we have to wrap it up. That was our Tapagachi. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, so up next we have the band Noodles. Now, I first was introduced to Noodles when they opened for the Pillows back in 2005. I walked out with every one of their albums and EPs they were selling that night and was just blown away by their music. And, Jonestar, you actually got to see them with me when they opened for the Pillows back in 2018. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so this comes off of their uh, Deep Beyond the Dream EP, and it's called Bring You With You.
I'm Manda, and together we're Black Compat. We're a growing community focused on diversity, inclusion, representation, conversation, and fun on Twitch. Wanna be fam? For chill community vibes, Wednesday nights at 7, join BC Row for the Wednesday wind down. Friday nights, join us for Let's Plays where we explore narrative and single player campaign games. Stop by on Fridays at 7. Catch our flagship podcast, The Tribunal, live every other Sunday at 3 p.m., where we talk about issues that are important to us as Black women. Issues like representation, inclusion, diversity, and more within the video games and entertainment industries. Check our channel and social handles to find out when a new tribunal is going to drop. We've got even more content on our YouTube channel, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter handles, and our website, blackandpat.com. So join in the conversation in whatever way you like at Black and Pat. Remember, always and never or. All times are Eastern. Don't wanna go to work again ever no more
Party Animals, that was Turbo Negro with High on the Crime. I oh, first yeah. found yes, <laughs> I first found out about Turbo Negro through Jackass, Viva La Bam, and Wild Boys. And I've always said that had I not discovered the Pillows, I might have actually swerved into Scandinavian punk and metal, and the show would have been about that. Thankfully, I've got Andrew here who <laughs> keeps me up to speed when it comes to Scandinavian metal. Oh, yeah. Well, you should listen to helicopters too. Hel- yeah, helicopters are great. Yeah. So, this concludes episode 300 of No Borders No Race. Right. I know this was a very long episode. Yeah, three hours, but one hour, one hour per hundred, hundred episodes. episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Because as people know, I'm heading for Japan, going to be teaching there for a couple of weeks, doing some sightseeing. So No Borders No Race is going to be on hiatus for a little bit. We will be back in September with new episodes. Not sure when in September. Once my batteries are fully recharged again, because although I am going on vacation, you still need to have a recharge after the vacation oh, yeah. part. And you're going to be working. Big, long trip. Yes, and I'm going to be long working. Long yes. oh, yeah. so, That's my favorite part. Yes. I love that. <laughs> so, this whole episode, I know it's super long, so I hope you cut it into intervals while you were listening to it, and hopefully by the time you had finished this episode, I'll be back with new episodes of your part. Yeah, so probably, right. probably should have front that. Yeah, <laughs> I probably should <laughs> Oh, no, they can listen on their own. They'll figure it out. Magic of editing. <laughs> <laughs> nope, gotta keep it. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> so, guys, thank you once again for joining me here on the episode. So, Clay, since you are... This is your first time being on No Borders, No Race. I want thanks you again, to do thanks. your shameless plugging first. Oh, sure thing. Um, well, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. This was a great conversation, guys. It was yeah. fun. I hope to do it again. Um, and, uh, yeah, you can find our comic book podcast at League Podcast. It's like Justice League ad podcast on the air. And um, I'm at Clay Inferno on pretty much all social medias and my sub stack and, and TikTok and Twitter and Facebook, all that stuff at Clay Inferno. And thanks, thanks again, Evan. It's been fun. You're welcome. I mean, you were once the most popular person on MySpace, as they said on the cover of Boston <laughs> Phoenix. <Yes, laughs> that's right. So it's an honor to have you on the show. <laughs> now it's, it's got me here, so. <laughs> yeah, excellent. <laughs> all right, um, Jumpstar. Yeah, uh, well, I'm not doing too much right now, uh, but you can find me on Instagram at the Line Block, which is a Tetris reference. Um, and you can find my artwork and stuff there. But uh, you can find all of our Wicked Anime stuff still on YouTube, Wicked Anime Reviews. And uh, our social medias, we have a Discord for Wicked Anime, uh, which is on our Facebook page for Wicked Anime. Just Google search Wicked Anime. I think you'll find us still. I don't know, but it'll be fun. Uh, YouTube has some good stuff. Yeah. All right, well, if you want to find my work, you can find me uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at AFLM Art. Uh, I also have my free webcomic that you can read, which is Solarian Sun, and you can find that at solariansun.com. Uh, with, with that, I also have a subscription service uh, that you can read ahead. Uh, where uh, solariansun.com is free and will always be free. I'm up to page 206 of, of uh, Solarian Sun on, on the free website, but if you subscribe, you can get up to page 449 as of this recording. Uh, so that's a, quite a significant amount. It's not that much money either. It's five bucks a month. It's $5 a month for all those pages. Uh, and then, um, of course, I have my products where, where you can go to aflm.gumroad.com or you can purchase the first volume of Solarian Sun in print uh, along with some stickers and leftover products from the uh, Kickstarter campaign. 
It's the more edited version of your free yeah, online. Yeah, it's actually like it. so. If you read the uh, the free online version, if you actually purchase it uh, in book form, everything is updated. There's new dialogue. There's new art. There's new everything. Uh, it's it's a much it's worth it for the price and for the price. Exactly. And then, exactly. Uh, and then of, and then of course I'm planning on launching Solarian Sun Volume Two sometime early next year as well. So keep it keep up with that. Awesome. And security guy Greg. Uh, I don't really have any plugs, but you can find me in your thoughts. Uh, <laughs> and just wish everyone well and, uh, you know, stay healthy out there. Yeah. All that fun stuff. We should give a good shout out to our good buddy, Elite Four Derek, who was supposed uh, to join us, yeah, but right. unfortunately, he got a wee bit of the COVID. <laughs> so sad. <laughs> I know. He he actually was on my radio show back in the day at WNW in Salem, so I was hoping he would be on to share a bit of those memories. Mm-hmm. The original cast member. One of the, not kind of, sort of, like one of the precursors to Boston Bash Brigade, definitely. But, you know, as our listeners will will attest, you know, Elite for Derek has been a great friend to all of us, mm-hmm. and we wish him nothing but the best and hoping he'll that. Yeah, he'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. He'll be fine. But I'm hoping, because he's amazing when he's on the show, he's great on the convention floor. He yeah. is one of our best buds, and we wish you were here with us, man, but I understand that you want to keep us safe from the COVID and all that stuff. So, for our listeners as well, b3crew.com is our website. Follow us on facebook.com slash Brigade, and even on Tumblr at b3crew.tumblr.com. As soon as the porn went away on Tumblr, for some reason, people just started coming onto that page and liking things, because... I guess we're second best to that sort of stuff. Or did they stop coming on that page? (laughs) Where are they going? (laughs) You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at kingbaby.esh. And also, don't forget to give some love to our friends over at Black and Pat at blackandpat.com, twitch.tv slash blackandpat, and youtube.com slash blackandpat. So... The very last song that we'll be playing on the 300th episode of No Borders A Race is Asian Kung Fu Generation. And I discovered this band through Naruto and Full Metal Alchemist. And the song that we're going to play, be playing is from their 2005 album, Solfa. And every time I listen to this song, I get that really, like, good nighttime vibe. Like, looking at Boston or Tokyo at night with the city lights beautifully, like, blinding you and it's I think it's honestly my favorite Asian Kung Fu Generation song probably their most beautiful song in my honest opinion and I look forward to thinking of this song when I'm seeing Tokyo late at night so from Solfa this is Asian Kung Fu Generation with Last Scene and until next time this is your King Baby Duck uh, AFLM Security Guy Greg John Farrell. Oh, sorry. John Farrell. We can anime. <laughs> Reminding you that you don't have to be from Boston to be a bastard. But it sure helps. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. Okay, bye. <laughs> Guys, I'm like super late. I gotta go. <laughs> <laughs>
This is your King Baby Duck Evan Borgo from the Electric Sisterhood and your host for the No Borders No Race podcast. Each episode, we play the best, brightest, and hottest acts from Japan, America, Europe, and the rest of the world. Every song spun is but a mere taste of what you can expect of the artists heard, so if you truly love what hit your eardrums, please be sure to support these musicians and buy their albums, EPs, and singles. Places like Amazon.com. CD Japan, Yes Asia, Bandcamp, iTunes, and even your local record store are great places to plop down some sweet moolah to let those artists know that they're doing a heck of a good job with their melodies. The more an artist gets support from listeners, the better the chance that they'll come to a venue nearest you to play the sounds that won your heart. This message is brought to you by the Boston Bash Brigade, reminding you all to support your local, national, and international artists any way you can. (laughs) 